You are now listening to Sanity in Darkness, a very dark podcast coming to you from the hallowed gothic halls of Wayne Manor. And I am Nathan, your humble and host. And I'm Batman. And <laughs> we've got Batman here. <laughs> this should make for an exciting podcast. Oh, man. Have you guys seen that they're doing like a, a Keanu Reeves plays Batman with an animated dog movie? Uh, What? No. I have no idea what you're talking about. You, you, remember, you remember when Batman used to be a mantle that was passed from one actor, kind of like James Bond, to another actor, to the yeah. But now we've got yeah. like Val Kilmer. Yeah. Now we've got how many Batmans are currently at large? Affleck's got another one. Pattinson's Affleck does have another one. He well, does? he's going to be in the Flash. He's going to okay. be in the Flash. That's right. what I mean. Oh, uh, uh, Keaton. Also Keaton going to be in the Flash. Reprising. Right. Uh, we've got uh, Lego Batman played by what's his face? I for- his name is escaping me, but he's Mm-mm. he's yeah. very funny. We've got uh, Keanu Reeves playing Batman in in the DC Dog something or other. Oh, right. Super Pets. Super Pets. Yes. Right. Super Pets has Keanu Reeves as Batman. Oh. And so there's a lot of Batmans currently at large. And much like in The Dark Knight. Well, and the Joker movie's going to get a reprise, and we had a Bruce Wayne in that. Oh, brother. I hated that Joker movie. I think everybody hated that Joker movie. I think the world has appropriately more or less turned on that movie. And the common wisdom is that it, it was stupid and overhyped. <laughs> I think. I'm not sure about that, but I think. Who would go back and watch it? I mean, yeah, it is, it is one of those like, pay you 10 cents and come into the fair to see the geek show. And then once you've seen it, like, yeah, I guess a guy can bite a head off of a chicken and then there's nothing else to do. Yeah, I guess Joaquin Phoenix can bend his bones in weird ways for two hours while the music tells you how important it is. Anyway, we're not here to review the Joker. Quite the opposite, actually. We're here to review the Batman. And before we do that, we have to introduce... The other people, we've got the preacher who's a teacher of cinema right there. He's Benjamin Sulzer. Hello. And we've got... I'm Batman. Yeah, we've got Batman himself. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, BJ. <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll decide by the end, dear listener, who of the three of us is really Batman. And I'll just say... It's always the person who doesn't say I'm Batman that's actually Batman. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think that might be a good way to think about it. Because uh-huh. it rare is the occasion when Bruce Wayne walks into like a cocktail party and says, I'm Batman. <laughs> Just saying. Just throwing that out, that out there. Well, guys, we should get right to it. There's a lot to say about this movie. The world is on fire talking about this movie. So I, I want to talk about all things Batman. I want to talk about our bat baggage. I want to... I want to give a brief history of Batman because it, it will actually help help me build my argument for why this movie is what it is. So where should we start? Maybe let's start with Bat Baggage. Ben, what Bat Baggage do you bring to this Batman movie? Didn't really watch the Adam West Batman show growing up. I mean, a little bit here and there, but it was never a thing that I looked forward to as a kid. Batman animated series, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. That was my favorite. Saw the Batman movie... That was just a weird movie, even as a kid. With the Jack Nicholson movie. Yeah, Jack Nicholson, yeah. Michael Keaton. It's it's a weird movie. It doesn't really work, but somehow it's it's compelling, and I watched it several mm-hmm. times as a kid and kind of liked it and would willingly watch it for whatever reason. That is the movie, I'll spoil a little bit of my, my baggage. That is the movie I think I've seen the most times mm-hmm. in my life that I'm not even sure is actually a good movie. It is yeah. weirdly compelling and I like watching it kind of and, kind and of. every five or ten years I'll be like, oh yeah, I should go back to that. 
But every time I go back to it, I'm like, I don't know if I actually like. I mean, I've I've probably seen that movie like two dozen times or something. I don't know. That's a lot. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Well, well by the way, if people if, if people get us to a certain amount on patreon.com forward slash Sandy at the movies, then we will review the Burton Batman movies, which I th- we think we'll have a lot to say about, as you can see. Definitely. But anyway, back to your bat baggage. Well, it, at some point, at the end of my high school career, mm-hmm. I I finally watched Batman Returns, which I just heard was like, no fun, not for kids, not the kind of thing that anyone liked. Not the kind of thing I remember my elementary school friends liking. So I never bothered. And then I went to it and I was like, oh, finally, like a superhero, a comic book movie that I've been waiting for, where everything is completely visually designed and you have a complete like fantasy comic book world and everything is colorful and interesting. There's there's a script. I care about the characters. I mean, Batman Returns is a is a dark and mean movie, it, as mean in its way as the Batman, which we're going to review today. And it's strange and off-putting. And I'm not really recommending it, but in its way, it is awesome. It is a fully-fledged comic book movie, and I just didn't even know it existed. I've been wanting a fully-fledged comic book movie that was visually and tonally like one thing with its own like internal logic. And Batman Returns is that. It's kind of amazing that it exists back in the 90s. Right. Well, it's also... A pure Tim Burton movie of the type that I think maybe has never happened before or since. Never before or since. And it's not, it doesn't, it's his own Tim version version of Batman. Mm -hmm. It is not connected to the earlier movie he made. It's not connected to the later movies made by Joel Schumacher. It's just not, it's just its own little snow globe Gotham world. This is Tim Burton's universe, folks. And it happens to have Batman in it. And it's, <clears throat> it's really fun and cool, and this movie, this movie reminded me of it more than any other Batman movie. Let's yeah, just say this yeah. this new Batman movie with Pattinson. So anyway, from from there we get to the Nolan stuff, which I don't really like Batman Begins, but I liked Dark Knight a lot at the time. Liked it less the more I saw it and thought about it. One of those movies you see like three or four times, and you start to it starts to wear on you a little, and you're like, eh. And then The Dark Knight Rises was really fun in the theater, and I liked it a lot, and then. Just have to think about The Dark Knight Rises a little more to realize it's, well, not well put together. Can I just say, I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but... Go ahead. No, no. Interrupt. I was just thinking about the Nolan movies the other day. I think the Nolan movies are really hard to talk about, actually, and really hard to gauge critically at this juncture because they've been so absorbed into the zeitgeist, so absorbed into our consciousness. There's There's very few movies where... Everybody makes fun of the voice. The voice, uh, Rachel. <laughs> everybody makes fun of, like, he. everybody knows Heath Ledger. It's like, it's really yeah, hard. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a little bit like Star Wars, maybe, or like the original Star Wars, the OT trilogy, or certain, I, I don't know what to compare it to, but it's like, how do you get far enough away from the Nolan movies to have any perspective? You can to, only be in conversation with them. They were game changer for they were. the superhero movie in general. And you, Love him or hate him, you have to respect that Nolan changed the conversation. He did, but I think even to people will say what's bad about them. People will say I don't like them. I I don't even feel like I can criticize them that much because it's like I don't know that I can recapture this perspective that I had. Like seeing the Dark Knight in theaters was a powerful experience. Yeah, and I don't know that I even like the movie now, but maybe that's just because we've all talked to death and we've all thought about it to death and we've all seen the memes to death and it's been it's just like. It's really hard to come to those Nolan movies with 
with fresh eyes. But yes, they did change the conversation, and they're I, I, what I what I feel like my hot my not so hot take is that Nolan Nolan goes goes cold the more you you think about him. Nolan's typical weaknesses just show the more that you think about his movies, and the more distance you get, you're like, oh, I guess I guess it was weak in that way. That other Nolan movies now, I mean, I don't know, we didn't need much perspective on Tenet, right. for instance, when you and I talked about it, right. to be like, oh, it has typical weaknesses of a Nolan movie. Right. Uh, but there were no typical weaknesses of a Nolan movie, in at least in people's understanding, when Batman Begins came out. What no? What we had was... Oh, cool. This auteur that did Memento has mm-hmm. got a comic book franchise. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it comes out, and it's the most grounded thing of all time. We have the Batman that Burton gave us and that Schumacher. Schumacher gave us. And then we have Sam Raimi coming in and sort of giving us a... A gee whiz, sort of. Yeah, a cool, fun, family-oriented, but gee whiz. And we still got the goblin going around. Mm-hmm. And, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then Nolan comes in and gives us something that actually feels relative to anything we've ever seen before grounded and realistic and in in a way that born at the at the same time is going to come in and and do do tricks with with bond well what i think nolan actually mm -hmm. birthed was born and daniel craig and this this whole genre of super serious kind of we're doing a franchise thing but but it's like it's got to feel real it's got to feel grounded it's got to feel gritty what Mm -hmm. if james bond was a real dude in the real world like that which Mm -hmm. which interestingly had almost no impact on the comic book genre because Marvel came along and soon thereafter and was like, hey, <laughs> we're just going to have fun. And everybody uh-huh. was like, oh, yeah. But had a huge impact on the action genre mm-hmm. in general. So, yeah. Well, well, I mean, Marvel came in and said, Batman turned us all into this gritty realism. And so Marvel was just like, what if that's fine? Like, let Bourne and Daniel Craig be gritty and realistic. What if we just had? What if we just had fun? Wouldn't that be fresh and cool now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they I, were right. But I think what I might argue, the more we get more perspective on this, what it may actually seem like is that Batman was a quick sort of digression in the history of. Uh, sorry, the Dark Knight trilogy is actually was actually a digression in the history of the superhero movie, as opposed to an important building block. It might actually be more mm-hmm. of an important building block in the action genre, the James Bond, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Anyway. Yeah. Like well, I said, I think it's hard to have well, perspective. But, yeah, I mean, but that's just like divergent. I mean, part of what superhero movies can do is either integrate themes or break themes themes open. I think that's what's unique and powerful about them because they have such a built-in audience in terms of franchise drawing power. Right. So, I mean, what we'll talk about with Reeves is drawing in some of that 90s psycho horror drama yep. stuff. He, he draws on it and he creates a Batman movie that's also... Matt Reeves, not Keanu Reeves. <laughs> we were just talking about Keanu Reeves' Batman. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> we, we, I, think we, I, th- I think our audience all knew that Keanu Reeves was the director, the director of, of the, the movie that I was talking about, but thanks for clarifying. <laughs> you, did, you didn't specify director. <laughs> I, I'm, I support your clarification. <laughs> I, I, I felt like it was a good clarification. I think it's just possible. <laughs> Somebody was like, <laughs> Keanu Reeves directed Batman. <laughs> and I, I just give our audience uh, more credit than that because they're listening to us and therefore I think <laughs> you listener are actually kind of smart and were able to follow what I was saying. Right. Ben thinks you're an idiot, but you decide who you like better, me or Ben. Right. Um, and you decide who's Batman. 
Yeah. Yeah. The guy who never said he's Batman. <laughs> no, I have no idea what I was saying. Uh, Keanu Reeves made a Batman movie. It's right. like a psycho horror. About a dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, the point, the point being, okay, if Christopher Nolan is making a Batman movie, it's going to be a universal cultural touchstone because everybody has to see it, whether they like Batman or not. Right. Batman fans are going to see it. Action movie fans are going to see it. Movie critics have to see it because it's going to be a cultural touchstone. And so then you, it's going to be what it is. It, 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 can, it, it can pull in and integrate things that anybody else has done before it and sell it as fresh because just people who like dopey Batman movies but not those other things are going to see it and it can influ influence things downstream. And that's what we have with Matt Reeves's Batman movie mm -hmm. is the same kind of same kind of thing but it's just i think part of the phenomenon of of superhero movies that they just have of comic book movies or franchise movies mm -hmm. they they can do that they can either integrate things or they're, they're gonna have an impact one way or another well it's it's like the audience is showing up either way they're, they're showing up because right. of the brand so then you have a choice it's it's not like and then the brand can be connected or disconnected from the zeitgeist and from the, the moral conversations that are going on at any given time as much or as little as it wants. And each, every individual director and writer and creative team has to decide how they're going to interact. But what they don't have to do, they do not have to make those decisions as if they are going to have that much bearing on whether the audience comes or not, because the audience right. is there either way. So it's an interesting thing. Did you begin your bat? bat baggage jake or did we no, no we ben's just, still giving oh, his actually yeah we just, sorry I we kind of we keep interrupting yeah yeah but well, i'm almost done i was gonna say that i don't know the nolan trilogy aged in my memory it aged in my mind pretty fast mm -hmm. maybe that's not true but mm, and then batfleck it took me a long time to see his movies and uh, we recently talked about Justice League. And yeah. I feel like whatever we wanted, maybe we didn't talk much about Batman himself. But Ben Affleck is a pretty great Batman. Yes. It, it, it happens. Too bad he never got his own Batfleck movie. Mm -hmm. This was supposed to be that. Right. Right, I know. And he was going to direct it, right? Yep. Yeah. And then for a while, he was linked to Reeves. And then Affleck kind of stepped down and said, Reeves, you should... Keanu Reeves. Uh, no, uh, mm -hmm. Matt Reeves, you should, uh, you should do your own, your own thing. You've got your own vision for this. Let's just ditch everything that was attached to my version of it, including me. Yeah, you can talk, you can listen to our Justice League. I think we have two episodes on Justice League. You can hear all our Snyder thoughts, and I'm sure we talk about Batman a little bit. <sighs> Any more bat bat gidge? Not that I can think of right now. I've been on the fence, folks, about whether to actually combine it into a portmanteau bat gidge. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I did. I'm going to revert to bat baggage. I think bat baggage is is right. It's what Adam West Batman would do. Right. Da, na, 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 na. Same bat baggage. Bat gage. Bat gage. Actually, da, 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 no, it fits da, da, da. in the theme. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, you've convinced me. <laughs> da, 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 da. By the way, real quick, yeah, I know I know uh, people want us to get to it, but how many bat themes can we name? So there's da, na, 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 Batman. Yeah, can, can we hum? Not just name. Yeah, Danny um, Elfman's easy. And then I think mm -hmm. if I take a second, I can actually hum the Schumacher theme because it's different. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, shoot. I lost it. I just had it. You just start singing Kiss from a Rose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> duh, duh, duh. Oh, man. I just had it. 
Uh, Skate seal, you know. I'm a stupid movie. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. A friend of a friend made a mix tape and or CD. I don't remember quite what era. I think we were to CDs by this time that included that theme because those Schumacher movies were out at the time. So I heard it a lot, and I can still do it. So that's this one. Bum 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 bum. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you got Matt Reeves. Great, great theme. Great theme. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not being sarcastic. Just boom the, boom. I just did the Dark Knight about, Batman theme. Yeah. Bump, bump, yeah, that's, bump. that's also the Dark Knight. <laughs> but there, there is an actual light motif that he actually gets to. Yeah. Bum bum. That's it, basically. Yeah. Somebody was arguing. Yeah, no, I mean, Zimmer creates a nice soundscape for Batman, I guess, although it's okay. I was bored of it. Yeah. His soundscape for soundscape slash theme for Man of Steel is much better. Yes, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. For Superman. Well, nah, I won't talk about it. I was going to say Man of Steel illustrates what's dumb about the whole David Goyer and Chris Nolan approach to adapting these properties because you realize they're applying the same logic to Superman that they're applying to Batman. Mm -hmm. And I think... Make it grounded. Insofar as they're betraying Superman, I think you can actually argue that they do that with Batman. And maybe that'll come up later in this discussion. Wait, you're saying Goyer and Nolan were betraying Batman? I... Let me make that argument later on down the line if it comes up. And if if I never make it in this podcast, folks, then y- you can email me or talk to me and I'll gladly we make it. We can sign up argument. for Patreon and we can make it behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I bet it'll actually come up in the I bet it comes up. context of this movie because I think maybe it's possible that this movie does something right that they do wrong or wrong that they do right. But we'll get to it. So, Jake. Did you say your baggage yet? Man, I, I really appreciate how much you care about my baggage. I care about your baggage, man. I care about your baggage, man. That's <laughs> Christian Jeffrey, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't think you do. I think you're just waiting to get through it so that you can talk about your baggage. Nope. Jerk. Nope. I hate I, your guts. <laughs> nope. I love your guts, Jake, and I care deeply about your baggage. All right. So I was... Uh, so let me talk about my baggage. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. I was more of a Superman kid growing up until my parents' divorce, which is when the 89 Batman came out. So... It's like darkness was sweeping across the land. So I associate Superman with that little brief window of my parents are together and we have a happy home and Superman was a thing and my dad was Superman. My parents started their divorce around 89 and so I remember then going to the drive-in to see the 89 Batman with my dad and my brother but not my mom. And I also remember thinking how cool it was and how grown up I felt seeing that movie. So I think that was my introduction to Batman was at the drive-in with my dad and then that whole score and all the things and all the merch and everything surrounding it. I remember very vividly. Well, that movie was huge. I mean, the the t-shirts, the icon, the The cups that you could get at McDonald's or whatever. Mm. 
everything. That was everything. the first movie to bring to really nail the modern merchandising hmm. aspect. Of well, it. it was close enough to Star Wars, and it knew that it had the potential to be just as big or bigger than Star Wars, which totally, you know, blew the world to bits with its merchandise. Right, but Star Wars was like an accident, and then they kind of figured it out as they went. And by Return of the Jedi, they really had it nailed. But Batman came out of the gate like it knew exactly that hmm. it was going to make bank on merchandising. And it did. Well, and it had that icon. And I remember like the the t-shirts and yeah, I definitely had that t-shirt. Everybody did. I mean, I was in Walmart just the other day looking at the t-shirts and they still sell that, that just the iconic, what is it? A yellow shirt with a black or black with yellow. Just Mm -hmm. just that you can't find a Matt Reeves Batman shirt, but you can sure find just that (laughs) Tim Burton logo. It's it's just one of the great. You can actually, I've seen kids wearing that. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying, I didn't actually mean you can't find them. I just, I just wanted to emphasize the fact that that. It's ubiquitous. It's that, everywhere. The, the Bat logo from the 89 movie is such an, an iconic part of pop art at this point. Yeah. That it's like Andy Warhol's like Marilyn anywhere. Monroe or something like that. Yeah. It's just. Mm-hmm. So that was super cool. I did watch uh, the Adam West Batman uh, a lot, especially with my grandparents. And that was too, in my mind at least, a uh, post-divorce kind of thing because it was a lot of nights at my grandparents' house. Dark nights. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yes, it was dark because my parents were being divorced, Ben, and I was six, but <laughs> and I couldn't be with my parents because they were divorcing. Man, Ben, you are it. But there's a lot of Nick at night. And so yeah, it was the Adam West Batman then. And so yeah, I watched all the all the Batman movies growing up and Batman the animated series was I was a little bit old for, but it was like I think I probably look at it as my favorite cartoon that I ever, that or Ninja, Ninja Turtles, I guess, maybe. Mm. But Ninja Turtles was more my, like, when I was the right age for it. But Batman the Animated Series was like, I'm the firstborn, you come home from school, and that's on at like every day at three or four o'clock. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, just, just speaking objectively, I'm not arguing with your memory, but the, hit, the show hit <sighs> 92 the the animated series which means none of us was actually too old for it i mean i kind of have a similar memory i mean and then it played throughout our childhood yeah well what what i what i specifically remember is still being like 12 or whatever and it's reruns or whatever is on but it is still on in that prime you got home you just got home from school slot and all my brothers are going to watch it and i i'm not going to feel bad about watching it because it's Secretly still really cool yeah. and fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I saw every Batman movie when it came out. So that second Batman movie, I probably haven't seen it since. I just remember it being very... And I've, I I know I've seen it multiple times, but since I was a kid, for sure. I mean, if you haven't seen it since, then you haven't seen it for 30 years because that movie wow. was 92. Yeah, that's crazy Wild. to think. Yeah. But Want to feel old? It's like yeah, one of those no dumb kidding. internet memes. <laughs> no kidding, but I remember that movie being like, scary and gross and dark which it is horrifying and i remember i mean i remember laughing in the theater at holy rusted metal batman batman forever yeah batman forever when Uh he had what's his face which i wasn't allowed to see at the time i don't remember why but you saw batman returns (laughs) well no 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 i see i didn't see batman returns later i saw batman returns right before and and i'm remembering i wasn't allowed to see batman either as a kid i saw that maybe as a young teen or something for whatever reason. That's so. actually true of me too, but I'll talk about it. Sorry. 
So I yeah, I just like I grew up with every iteration of Batman as it came out huh. except for Adam West which predated me, but I grew mm-hmm. up with those reruns from being super young. Huh. So and I did not I I saw I think I saw every Batman I think I've seen every Batman movie in theaters. I don't think there's a Batman movie that's ever existed that I did not see in theaters. Uh the 1944 wow. serial Batman Jake, you saw that in theaters? <laughs> You got me, Nathan. Yes. Thanks. I got him, Ben. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> it was waiting to happen. <laughs> Jokes on <are late>. me. <laughs> Jake's going to like punch our arms afterwards like as hard as he can. <laughs> you guys suck. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I didn't see Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice in theaters, but I think I did. I yeah, you I... saw it with me <laughs> Easter Sunday, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it vividly. Easter oh, right. Sunday. Wow. Uh, what we, a special Easter. It <laughs> was a special Easter. Well, we had a uh, small group that met every week, and the small group would go for a long time, and it was great. But I think we just decided, like the men of the small group, were going to go enjoy a movie that afternoon. <laughs> so we did. I mean, we. We went and saw a movie. I don't know that we enjoyed a movie, but nothing edifying than seeing Batman rip a toilet out of a <laughs> stall and smash it over Superman's head. head. <laughs> oh, Snyder, you tasteless. So, so I did not enjoy any of the iterations of Batman until Nolan hit. I really loved Batman Begins. I loved it. I thought it was a super cool, fresh take on Batman. I liked a little bit more origin story. I liked it not being, I don't know, I just liked everything about it. I had all the toys as a kid. Like I had the Batmobile, I had the 89 Batmobile, I had the 89 Batwing, my brother broke it. I punched him and hurt him. And then my dad didn't buy me a new one. I have, I actually have a vintage Adam West Batmobile still in pretty great condition. I mean, I just had all the things. That a lot of Superman stuff too, but but yeah, I, I really loved Batman Begins when it came out. Thought it was super cool. Thought the Dark Dark Knight was awesome. Did not like Dark Knight Rises. And then the, those movies have done what they've done over time for anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. when did they come? I want to say two thousand four is Batman Begins. I want to say two thousand eight for two thousand five. Actually, sorry, two thousand five. Batman yeah, Begins. I want to say two thousand eight for Dark mm-hmm. Knight. Okay, so 2005, I was still in college. Yeah. They are such a specific moment in time. I linked them to 9-11. And I would have oh, I would have been dating Amanda at the time. We both thought that they were cool. And I was like one of the very, we didn't have a lot of DVDs or anything when we first got married, but the, the Nolan Batman movies were, we had those. On the discourse around Heath Ledger's death and everything. Right, I mean, there's just stuff. so much that like... That just rockets you back to that time if you lived through it. Yeah, and it's funny now to even go back and think about the fact that everybody was asking, could Jack Nicholson's Joker be transcended? <laughs> yes, yes it could. <laughs> what a funny thought. But but yeah, so I guess I, got, I have a lot of history and baggage with Batman, and I don't know what else to say except Batman's cool and fun, and unlike... Marvel Batman's always been a part of my life, my childhood, the way that Superman has. 
I have a DC, I guess we all in our generation had more of a DC childhood than anything, but. I was a Spider-Man kid. Yeah, you've talked yeah. about that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man was a big nothing. And I didn't see any of the Spider-Man movies in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I didn't give them the time of day. I wasn't, I was not interested. Yeah, I didn't really lock into anything Marvel until the first Iron Man movie. And even then it took me a while <laughs> to get on board. But I didn't see I didn't see the Blade. I didn't well, see any of the MCU movies until goes. Avengers came out. Yeah. And then finally I saw Avengers or something like that and then started working my way back through. Mm-hmm. I do remember seeing one of the Raimi Spider-Man movies at a drive-in with friends. It was just like a thing everybody was doing. And I, I think I went back and watched the others and mm-hmm. decided they were fine. Mm-hmm. But that third one, I mean, I think I saw Spider-Man 2 in at the drive-in. The best one to see, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think I went back and watched the other one and then the third one was so stupid that... Mm-hmm. It's so, so emo and dark. It's right <laughs> yeah. up there with Matt Reeves and Batman. <laughs> I have a so, yeah. soft spot for number three. Yeah, we know. Another thing we'll litigate if you go to Patreon. <laughs> and, when. and a certain other Spider-Man movie <laughs> that doesn't even need to be named. <laughs> so I did like Garfield Spider-Man because I was ready for that when they, they came out. Mm-hmm. I liked And I liked him right yeah. away as a Spider-Man. But yep. anyhow, that's neither here nor there. So I guess that's the bat baggage that I bring. The baggage, the bat gidge. Yeah. Not a lot of like identification with Batman, but definitely a uh, saturation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, my, my, my bat baggage, I think I can go through fairly quickly, even though I think I have more of a personal relationship with Batman than either one of you. Cause I loved Batman. I read the comics. He was my dude. Never like, read, I guess I should say never read a single comic. I, I wasn't a com- I, I don't know. I've ever read a comic book period. So I've read a lot of them, but I don't know that I read Batman as a kid. Have you read the famous runs like the Frank Miller? Yes. Long Halloween. I've, I've read Knight all of those and... long Halloween hush, dark Knight returns, all that, all this stuff, quite a bit of like, well, some of the Bane stuff, some of the like, Nightfall and Nightfall, some of the like Gotham, the graphic novels like The Killing Joke and Killing Joke. Read that. Yep, yep. So I've, I've read. I'm familiar with most of that stuff. Most of the most more of the iconic late century Batman mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, yeah. Same here. I, I read all of those. I read Frank Miller's Dark Knight, which I don't think actually holds up very much. But we don't. Nope. Have to, we don't have to talk about that. Influential. Yeah, very influential. And mm-hmm. Zack Snyder clearly loves it. And mm-hmm. but Frank Knight is just Frank Miller. Knight. Frank, wait, well, Frank Knight. Frank Knight. <laughs> yeah, Frank Knight. <laughs> a protector. <laughs> a Frank Knight. Um, Frank Knight. Yeah, Frank Miller is just a, he, he's, he's just a, a fascist red pill before the terms were invented. I mean, uh, yeah, he's, he is. he's just a, he's. Writes gross stuff like Sin City and. Yeah, he's just he's been mogging us all for 40 years now or whatever, <laughs> however long his career's been going. And I just, I don't like his art style. <laughs> yeah he sucks but i mean i can be glad that he gave us a darker more adult take on these characters and brought us out of the kind of silver age nonsense but anyway that's not neither here nor there i read a lot of batman comics if people are actual nerds they will know what i'm talking about when i say i read things up until about the cataclysm or whatever it was called the big oh yeah the big earthquake event cross Mm -hmm. cross comic book event where gotham city got leveled by or maybe metropolis Maybe both. I don't know. But there was a big earthquake and multiple characters died and things got shook up. And that's about Mm. where I drifted off. Right. 
because I always liked pure Batman stories. I didn't like the genre team ups. I didn't love having Superman in Batman. I think I've softened on that stance, especially since I have enjoyed some of the Marvel team ups. And well, it, sorry to interrupt, but no. a, a bunch of that the Cataclysm stuff. You really get into the whole Bat family. Like there's two or three Robins running around. There's a Batwoman. There's there's Catwoman. There's there's just all there, there's one of the Robins has become Nightwing, Dick Grayson became... And so you've, you've got all these different bat-friendly characters running around doing their own thing in the city. Right, and found family was just never what interested me about Batman. I, I liked the lone Avenger, the... the Like, Robin has never been my deal. I, I just like Batman as a pure entity out there fighting this rose gallery. I went of, to Robin for Halloween once, by the way. Nice. As the Adam West version of Robin. <laughs> wow, the coolest, <laughs> sexiest one. That's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably pictures. I don't know how to find them, but if I can find a picture of me as the the Robin from the... That'd be a great Patreon exclusive. Yeah. I'll ask my mom because she's the one who made the costume. I was pretty, pretty little, but... So I grew up reading Batman. I identified with Batman in a way that wasn't like any other superhero. I just, I mean, he is, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more in the context se- section, but I mean, for anyone who comes from a imperfect home or feels a little darkness in their life or feels a the, the id creeping up on their, their ego and their super ego, whatever, Batman tends to be your guy, I think more. I mean, Marvel doesn't have an equivalent. The, the nice thing about Batman is that he doesn't go into, at least in most of his more mainstream storylines. He doesn't go into pure violence, pure rage, a la The Punisher, a la all kinds of wicked comic books out there. He's somewhat restrained. Like, you don't feel that bad reading him. But he does have a dark side, and that is very attractive. So I I liked Batman for that reason. I, I remember having the Bat toys from McDonald's, like the McDonald's. I can still picture with perfect clarity, the Batman Returns McDonald's line of toys, which I had. And I had a lot of Batman toys circa Batman Returns. But I, but, but my parents, I think, had both been offended by the Batman movies. Like, they grew up with Adam West. They thought of Batman as a fun, campy, kind of silly, just fun thing. And then they saw the Tim Burton movies and were just kind of aghast and that was a pretty standard position for Mm -hmm. conservative christendom to take at the time Hmm. and so we weren't really allowed to watch the batman movies and and that was even even extended through the schumachers i i think you said something similar i I, I really don't remember why batman forever wasn't i mean maybe it was because it had some women in kind of gross salacious clothing i I think it just i think it just got lumped in like oh this franchise is mean and dark and I guess so. for, for my parents at least yeah so i don't know when i was a, a young teenager i finally caught up with them all i've already given some of my thoughts on the burton movies i tend to agree that batman returns is some kind of twisted masterpiece and the first batman is like i've said just this weird movie that doesn't work but has so many elements that you want to work and that kind of work and that super are just... memorable elements or at least i mean maybe i was just a an impressionable kid, but like it's memorable. It's like any given scene you enjoy watching. Hey, it's the Joker. He's listening to Prince and messing up this museum, or 
But at, but at the same time, it's a boring movie. It doesn't really Ooh. add up to anything. I, I mean, everything. It's you're my number weird. one guy. Like there's all these little like yeah. moments, like Vicky Vale. Get like, those wonderful toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't like any number of little purple. I just love purple. Yeah, I mean all kinds of like whether it's gross or it's not like this nonsensical. The world's first fun- fully functioning homicidal artist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you have the score making it all compelling yeah, if, if there's anything that holds that movie yeah. together it's danny elfman just like working his tail off to make this into something grand and mythic the and true masterpiece of yeah. the score i mean if if just just to give a preview of our take folks i think that the first minute and a half is actually a pretty good summary of the movie because you've got this exciting camera work and it's going here and there and the score is building and what it, oh it's just it's the batman logo it's mm-hmm. a piece of design that's all that we're looking at for like two minutes Okay, nothing has happened. I thought it was the coolest thing ever when I was a kid. The build-up, I mean, the build-up. What are we in? I had no idea. Some kind of maze. What's going on here? Oh, whoa, it was a Batman logo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I said, as a piece of pop art, I mean, it's like, what are these dots? Oh, it's Andy Warhol's soup can. That's a really terrible metaphor, but you know what (laughs) I mean. That's kind of what I was trying to get at, kind of how I feel. But uh, it's cool. It is cool. It's just empty. the I remember being very taken with just the gothic architecture, the stylization yeah, of Burton's world. Yeah, uh, was fun, and that extends into Batman, Batman Returns. Well, and then Batman the Animated Series takes that uh, that same, yeah, a uh, full like Art Deco. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. all Art Deco. Yeah, their yeah. their Gotham though is more cheerful and functional. It's less gothic and more art, de- more pure Art Deco, and I like that too. Uh, like, like you guys said, Batman animated series was my jam. I think I was young enough because I'm just a year younger than Jake, which I think made, made some difference. And like, I can just embrace this. I don't need my brothers to have it on or anything like that. And like I said, technique- and you were more secure, just embracing those kinds of things as a kid. Yeah. I think I was, too. I was, I, like no. I just had to, I had to posture and pose as being above them yeah. a little bit more. I felt or hmm. caved to those kinds of pressures. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's totally fair. Hmm. So Nolan's movies came out. I don't remember being that excited about Batman Begins. Like, I think my friends took me to see it. Same thing with Iron Man. I think I was just more of an art movie guy at the snob at that point and didn't care about the mainstream stuff. But both of those movies I saw and was like, oh, okay, cool. They're 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 doing something different. This is fun. And I remember the second act of Batman Begins. The first act is just people shouting platitudes at each other and everybody's got their, it's hmm. what we do that defines us. And it's, it's, why do we fall, Bruce? His dad, the gangster. What is, what does the gangster say? <laughs> you always fear what you don't understand. Right. Like everybody's got a dumb, like calendar pl- platitude. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is fun, but it's so bad. I mean, David Goyer is just one of the worst dialogue writers. Oh, maybe you just don't have perspective. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, when, once they brought Heath Ledger in, like the Joker, like that movie actually has some good faux poetry in its dialogue. Yeah, but it's true. But the first one is just so pla- it's, it's, it's very wooden. It's very wooden. Yeah, it's what we do that defines us. Like, <laughs> who thinks to get make bad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the second act of that movie, when he's putting together his Batman suit and painting the thing black, does and it all come that in black? Stuff, yeah, it's just so much. <laughs> and Lu- Lucius Fox and. Yeah, the, the the kind of plausibility that's built into it. It is fun, really fun. Yeah, and then dark. Oh, actually, this is like some of this is like gear coupled together from this soldier project, and some of this is like 
from climbing projects and extreme adventure type people. Yeah, they, they just pulling this all in it. But yeah. Kevlar, but black, but uh, <laughs> and he's even going to have a whistle that attracts bats, so we can explain that it's all fun. <laughs> None of it's particularly actually plausible, but it's no, it's it like a the microwave uh, flash boil. All, this, all the whole mechanic of the oh the Raz yeah. Ghul's way of he's gonna take down Gotham is the silliest stupid. Well, the third act of that movie is schlock. I think yeah. even the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, this movie fell off a cliff. What a stupid! Like it's just stupid. But mm-hmm. but and then there's you got Cillian Murphy and and Tom Wilkinson and Liam Neeson oh. elevating the schlock. Yeah, but yeah, there's do. only so much they can do to elevate. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just. Yeah. I don't know that you could name a movie that has a worse third act. I'm sure you could actually, but that's a bad third act drop off for a pretty yeah. good movie. It's a bad third act yeah, drop off. That's right. Can I just say you? Yeah. You reminded me the Batman Begin. I was obsessed with seeing it. I was so excited. Like the trailer was like it filled my soul. It was just like all I could do was think about that trailer, that final trailer that mm-hmm. was so cool. So I was I was just primed. And I remember being kind of let down. Yeah, well, the action's so bad in that movie. Too. That's right. This, that's 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 why the it, first real casualty of the post-born world of we're just yeah. going to cut to and Nolan's a, a hack when it comes. Okay, to so action. give me the timing because before I thought Born was prior, but then you said Born's prior that Nolan gave us Born. Yeah, sorry, you did say and that. So yeah, I was I confused. Misspoke. I thought I, misspoke. I was wrong about that. Yeah, Nolan gave us Craig. Um, okay, would well uh, Born plus Nolan. Yeah, I think right? I think gave I think it's Craig. all in the zeitgeist. It's all. Like, I think it's all down. I mean, not to be too simplistic, but I think it's all post 9-11. The world feels like a darker, scarier, more gritty place. How can we incorporate that into our franchise filmmaking? And how can we make the best Batman movie poster ever? Which right. they did. Welcome to a world with no rules. Yeah. For the Dark Knight. That poster was awesome. But I don't need to say much more about my my bat gidge. I mean, the <laughs> I, I, I was enough out on Nolan even then that. Like dark, even Dark Knight. I was like, it's okay. Heath Ledger's great, but as a movie, it it doesn't quite hold together. And then Rises is just a train wreck. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in Rises. I actually like the Pit of Despair, <laughs> but the Pit of but, Climb as the child did. <laughs> <laughs> just, but it makes no sense, and it throws away. I mean, Bane's fun. They just paid Tom Hardy to do some drugs and do whatever. Can't, can't just come up with some nonsense as one does with. Tom Hardy, but uh-huh. um, but I don't like the plot of that movie, and it's just stupid. It's a pretty dumb movie. The, but there's a twist. Yeah, <laughs> she was Raz Al Ghul's daughter the whole time, and Bane was her protector. Right. She was the child. Nolan, just because there's a twist doesn't mean it's a good twist. Like it, it's easy to. Jake was Ben the whole time. Does, does, does that make a better podcast? And Ben was Batman. <laughs> yes, it does. Make it better. Bring Liam Neeson back while we're at it. And throw him into some like, now you're on the drug again. <laughs> well, okay. So mm-hmm. let, me, let me run you guys through the history of Batman real quick, because this is important to building my argument for why this new Batman movie is so important and maybe the best or worst Batman. We'll, we'll find out what I think, <laughs> folks. Ben, you've read some Batman comics, so... I sure have, Nathan. Maybe you'll have th- some thoughts. You ever, what's the oldest Batman comic you have, you've read? Have you read any vintage... Or have you read vintage comics in general? Oh, man. I've read a little bit of vintage Spider-Man, but not much besides that. The early comics are very... How would we describe them? 
I mean, they were still discovering the medium as as late as the 40, 30s and 40s when Batman and Superman and all those guys came along. There's lots of description, like lots of we're going to tell you what's happening because we don't quite trust our artists mm-hmm. to get it. There's also lots of beautiful colors and I don't know. I'm not like a history graphic. What do they call it? Sequential art historian. Yeah, me either. But it's it's interesting to go back. And yeah, look, at, look and, at some of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I've gone back to some other vintage comics, just not Batman. Yeah. Well, let me talk about Detective Comics number 27, published by DC Detective Comics in May of 1939. This was the introduction of Batman, a character created by Bob Kane. And now we have to say Bill Finger. You may have noticed in the credits of the movie we're talking about oh, yeah. today. It's yeah, a, I saw that. Bill, Batman character created by Bob Kane plus Bill Finger or something something like that. Right. Whereas if you go back to a Tim Burton movie, it'll just say, created Batman created by Bob Kane, I'm pretty sure. And that is the result of Bill Finger and his people pushing for credit because Bill has always said, I deserved more credit for creating Batman. But <laughs> Bob Kane was always happy to be like, I'm the avuncular creator of Batman, y'all. <laughs> and so I'm nice. not here to litigate that dispute today, but good thing because <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. But the the story is that basically DC Comics had created a very popular character named Batman. No, no, before that, is Superman. Superman. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's it, yeah. who came out in action. Was that Action Comics number one? Right. That introduced, sounds right. To I think me. that's the famous one. Yeah, sounds right. But they they had introduced Superman into the world in the 30s, and Superman was flying off the shelves and. Mr. DC or whatever his name was, was like, give me some more of those heroes. <laughs> and I need a hero. He needed more heroes. And so Bob Kane was a writer for DC or slash artist, but more well-known as a writer. And he was tasked with conceiving of like, hey, we need another superhero. And so Bob Kane set to work coming up with what this new hero would be. And Bob Kane famously loved the Douglas Fairbanks Zorro movie. Did you ever see the old, really old, like silent Douglas Fairbanks Zorro. No, actually. It's cool. I mean, it doesn't... So uh, the 1940s one actually has a better sword fight. Douglas Fairbanks wasn't great with sword fights, but he was great with stunts and stuff like that. And of course, he has the mask and the cape and everything like that. So I think Bob Kane was drawing on that. He was drawing on Sherlock Holmes, he has said. And he was drawing... There's this famous Leonardo da Vinci drawing of like an arithnocopter or something like that. Like this this bat-winged flying machine that da Vinci conceived of because leonardo da vinci as you probably know famously conceived of everything before it was yeah i've seen that picture yeah yeah so people can look that up if you want but bob kane put these things together he claims and came up with batman now old bill finger old bill finger he claims that (laughs) he came over to the bob kane studio and bob kane was like hey i'm looking at working on a a batman comic and then he had some guy in red boots that looked kind of like superman and bill finger was like why don't we (laughs) <laughs> make Batman into an iconic, awesome character that people will like. <laughs> Bob Kane was like, well, okay, I'm stupid. <laughs> so, who knows who, how, what actually happened. What actually happened. Right. But th- the point is that they created this character called Batman who debuted in Detective Comics number 27. And I sent you, you and Jake some screen grabs of the original Detective Comics number 27 Batman story. You've got young Bruce Wayne just talking to Commissioner Gordon. They're they're puffing away on their pipes because you could still use tobacco 
back then you'll notice in the movie we're just talking about today that nobody smokes. Right. Because you can't. I think Warner Brothers literally would not let Colin Farrell's Penguin have a cigarette, even though the Penguin has iconically had a cigarette wow. for years. But you wouldn't want kids to pick up a bad behavior from a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> got to make sure there's no smoking wow. among all the sex and violence. And that, that is amazing. Serial killing and stuff like that. We live in an interesting age. But but anyway, we're in the home of Commissioner Gordon when Detective Comics number 27 starts, who at the moment is entertaining his young socialite friend, Bruce Wayne. And uh, Bruce Wayne says, well, Commissioner, anything exciting happening these days? And Commissioner Gordon says, Oh, except this fellow they call the Batman puzzles me. Batman hyphenated back right. in these days, by the way. Kind of like reminds me of Cillian Murphy's callback in Batman Begins. He's here. Who? The Batman. The Bat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's an intentional thing. Exactly. Well, there's, so there's no real need to go into the story of... So there's like this whole thing where Bruce Wayne and Commissioner Gordon gets called to a crime scene. Bruce Wayne tags along. They figure out that rich people are being murdered. The worst crime of all. <laughs> rich people being murdered. <laughs> but the, the section that I actually want to describe for people is this section where a murder takes place. And I can't recreate the plot for you. You can find this online if you're interested. But uh, we start with the two assailants sneaking into the home of one of these rich people and shooting them. So you have this panel where this guy in this awesome orange zoot suit uh -huh. with a green Beret newsboy's or cap or, yeah. Yeah, is shooting this guy. And he's going, ah! And, and then the, the robbers steal whatever priceless artifact they uh -huh. need. For the, it's papers, papers actually, yeah. is, the, is the MacGuffin. They steal it and they go they climb up onto the rooftop and robber number one says, did you get the paper? And the other one, robber says, yeah. And then we have the iconic entrance of Batman. You want to read the awesome narration yeah, yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, As the two men leer over their conquest, they do not notice a third menacing figure standing behind them. It is the Batman. The Bat with a hyphen again. And both the guys say, the Batman. <laughs> and how would you describe Batman? He actually has more or less his iconic yeah. look there. He looks like Batman. He looks like Batman. And he's got his arms crossed. He's not happy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what happens next? Uh, he punches out one guy and then he picks up another guy and hurls him through the air. Right, and if you follow the logic of the scene, I'm pretty sure in his first ever altercation with some random crooks and murderers, to be fair, uh -huh. he uh, just threw one of them off of a roof. <laughs> so it's, it's very much in line, not with the wanton, the mean violence of the Snyder Batman, but more like uh, the Michael Caine, or not Michael, the Michael Caine Batman, <laughs> Keaton Batman. The, the Michael Keaton Batman, where he just kills, and it's just like, we're not thinking one way or another about this. It's just, they're, he's the good guy, they're the bad guys, he's right. going to blow up their factory, or... Yep. Tie a bomb to the guy in that one amazing scene <laughs> yeah. from Batman Returns. <laughs> That's good. Amazing. But then there's this scene at the end where the main crook has been captured, but he manages to break free. And, you know, you'll never g give me the chair. And he grabs a gun or something. Batman punches him. And then in the denouement of this original Batman story, you want to describe what happens? He's falling right into the acid tank. <laughs> That's a a fitting ending for his kind. Right. And this is my favorite panel, maybe in all of comics, because Batman and the other guy are just watching and pa passively as there's this giant splash of acid as the bad guy falls into the tank. And Batman says, a fitting end for his kind. <laughs> <laughs> and then the guy says, how can I ever think you? Why, why gone? <laughs> <laughs> Batman's gone. Batman's gone, yeah. <laughs> 
So that's the introduction of Batman. He pretty much arrives fully fledged. He's fully conceived. There's not a lot that he has to do. He's a dark, avenging kind of a guy that doesn't mind throwing a crook off a roof or punching a bad guy into a vat of acid. But uh, which is, I guess it's kind of fun to realize that vats of acid have played a big part in the Batman lore since the wow. very beginning. But he was actually so dark that you can find early things of him using a gun and just shooting criminals. It's mm-hmm. pretty funny to find those old-timey panels of Batman just gunning a criminal down. And I should say, Batman, Detective Comics number 27, immediately, instantly popular. And so Batman got his own line in the spring of 1940, hmm. and they began to extend his rogues gallery, introduce peop- characters like the Joker, some names like, the, the, I guess I won't spend too much time on this, but people like Jerry Robinson and Sheldon Meldoff helped build the world, build the rogues gallery, stuff like that. And it became this very rich, dark universe they created the whole idea of bruce wayne losing his parents i think that was in the seventh issue of the pearls flying through here all of this iconic huh. stuff just emerged pretty quickly and pretty full-fledged but of course parents complained because superman this was not batman was a dark avenging kind of guy uh-huh. from the very beginning and parents didn't like that very much and so dc eliminated the use of firearms not for an artistic reason but just because let's not have batman use guns mm-hmm. you know we don't need kids doing this even back then you had i guess people worried about what they call it repeatable behavior right things like that and they introduced robin again not for an artistic reason but just like hey we need something to kind of lighten this batman guy up make it more huh. kid friendly and i want to read from encyclopedia Britannica, because Batman did pretty well through the 40s, but then his big first real challenge was in the 1950s. And I thought Britannica summed it up really nicely, so I'll just read from them. Quote, the 1950s were unkind to the cowled crime fighter and his sidekick. The challenge came not from a costume nemesis, however, as the biggest threat facing Batman, indeed all comics, was psychiatrist Frederick Wortham. In his polemic against the industry, Seduction of the Innocent, which was released in 1954, Wortham charged that comics morally corrupt their impressionable young readers, impeaching Batman and Robin in particular for supposedly flaunting a gay lifestyle. Wortham wrote, quote, They live in sumptuous quarters with beautiful flowers and large faces and have a butler. It is like a wish dream of two homosexuals living together, unquote. DC Comics responded by building a Batman family around the Caped Crusader, introducing Batwoman, Ace the Bat-Hound, Batgirl, and even the magical imp Batmite. Batman's ghoulish adversaries were either neutered or discarded from the series. For years, DC produced a kinder, gentler Batman, and readers responded by sending Batman and Detective (laughs) Comics to the brink of cancellation. (laughs) First of all, bravo for the Encyclopedia Britannica writer, I think... He did, an, he or she, I'm going to say he, did, 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 a, nice did, job. A, did a nice job yeah. describing all that. But uh, I don't know. I've never really thought that Batman was gay. I've read about gay guys talking about how Batman was that to them. Yeah, I guess I can see that. But I think this Frederick Wortham guy was maybe a little off his Yeah. Off his gore. Going a little far. Yeah, I mean, he, okay, his book was called Seduction of the Innocent, and I think it was, I think he went too far. Also, you have to remember things like Tales from the Crypt and some really gory, ghoulish, huh. sexual kind of stuff was being published up until that point. Okay. The, the comics basically started self-censoring, just like everybody complains that the movies had to create the MPAA before the federal government uh-huh. got involved. 
comics did the same thing and that's why you have the comics code mm-hmm. uh, that you'll often see especially on older comics yeah i don't know if it's still in i want to say it's not was it on comics that you grew up collecting yeah yeah it was interesting mm-hmm. so batman starts out as this dark avenging figure with with all the lore and the backstory and the joker and everything like this and then he becomes this kind of more clownish guy with friends and family and right that bat might i'm interested to know what that was <laughs> ace the bat hound of course Batwoman, bat girl he's he's got a nice family yeah. of bat people yeah yeah and that brings us to the 1960s when they make that famous Adam West TV show in 1966. And that show is kind of taking everything from the 50s, all the silly stuff, and and going one step further and, and just bringing, well, I don't know. I don't have to describe the show. I assume probably a lot of our, our listeners have seen it, but it's not about a dark brooding Avenger or anything like that. It's about th- this sort of colorful pop art 60s fun aesthetic. And it's camp. It's, it's basically the original camp TV show. And it's played with a really straight face, which is what's fun. Like kids can, mm-hmm. kids can kind of enjoy it as a straight Batman adventure. But it's just <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Hey, we're being silly. And and they have Burgess Meredith and Frank Gorshin and Eartha Kitt and Cesar Romero and all these great actors from the era playing the Rogues Gallery, and they're just mocking the whole idea uh-huh. of Batman. Uh, and Batman is a character that comes so close to self-parody like he comes all the way up to the line and it only takes a push nudge to (laughs) (laughs) throw him over into the vat of acid that is self-parody but Uh i think in his best adventures he does not fall into that right but 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 it's interesting because a schumacher can easily push him that way whereas a burton can go really really far with him but still it's not parody it's not yeah it's not self-aware or winking in that way it's just really over the top over the top and wacky and, and wacky that, that show also is fairly sexual just to, i mean not not in any way that you wouldn't already associate with the mainstream 1960s but catwoman slinking around in her mm-hmm. black outfit stuff like that but it got canceled after three years and the bat brand is just so dead at this point like <laughs> the, the 1950s the comics code kind of ruined everything frank wortham ruined everything and then the 60s it's like hey, batman's a big joke and I think around that time, I, I, forgive me, folks, I'm not a comics historian at all, but the Silver Age of comics, I think, is somewhere in there, mm-hmm. which is when everything is in the 60s, 70s. Yeah, you don't just look it up. Yeah. Which is when everything got goofy. If you know the comics Arthur, uh, author Grant Morrison, he loves the Silver Age, and so he's always trying to bring these crazy, silly, weird characters back into vogue and... Mid nineteen fifties to the seventies, yeah, actually, and so and so some of Batman's that's odd. So so you're saying that some of Batman's worst, most neutered stuff is in the fifties. Well, in the fifties, but uh, but I think people love the Silver Age for its silliness, its campiness, its kind of hmm. cheerful. So you can find defenders of that stuff, and I've honestly not read a lot of Batman from that era. For all I know, it's great. It's just not the dark sort of brooding. Batman that people today tend to want. It doesn't have the qualities that we associate with the character. It's very silly, but it might be delightfully silly for all I know. The point is, though, that in the 1970s, Batman gets revitalized as a gothic hero and some good Batman stories begin to be told again. And then something really important happens in 1986, not just for Batman, but for comics 
really for pop culture in general, which is Frank Miller publishes his four-issue run of Batman called The Dark Knight Returns. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ben, you can probably speak to what's important about that. No, it's just really grim. It's really gritty. Batman is old. Batman comes back. Batman has no trouble killing everyone. Batman just does whatever he needs to. I mean, he's, he's not killing everyone, but he has no trouble killing if he has to. It's just over the top. It's like a Batman dystopia where he has to use some extreme methods Right. <laughs> it's like Batman is a as a as a hypermasculine red-pilled mm-hmm. dude who just has to ta- has to like basically almost take over Gotham in yeah. order to win. Yeah, it's it's insane. A lot of the iconography from the Snyder films is taken from that. All, all the stuff where Batman's beating up Superman, all, all the really. Oh dark, yeah, that's right. That's that's all taken from that pretty directly. Although I don't think Batman actually pulls a toilet out of a stall and hits it over Superman's. Frank Miller didn't even go that far. But missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. Yeah, for for great edifying superhero mythologizing, but. But the the 80s, and particularly with Bat- Dark Knight Returns, it's it's this time when comic books go adult. You've got Watchmen. You've got mm-hmm. the work of Alan Moore. You've got all these things where it's like adults can read comics too, which sounds sophisticated and mature and great. Like we're going to tell some good stories. We're going to have graphic novels. The term graphic novel becomes a thing. But really, by and large, it just means we can be violent and depraved and nasty and sexual. Mm-hmm. And comics, we've, we've talked about this off mic before. They're, Been on mic once. Yeah, I think we did. You're right. They're, they're just like always weirdly kind of, they just exist in their own little side universe. Parents or whoever don't seem to care that much. And they just, they're a cesspool. They are. Yeah, it's, they go so much farther than movies are allowed to do in terms of the violence and the wanton cruelty. And, and they're, they're a gateway to porn, I mean, because of the way that they draw women yeah. and women's physiques in most superhero comics. Yeah, even it, ones that are kind of cleanish otherwise. That's right. It still has a way of emphasizing the female anatomy in, in a way that, let's just say, is not helpful to teenage boys and their purity Yeah, and their desire to see more. Yeah. And, and a lot of that we have to thank from people like Alan Moore and good old Frank Miller and The Dark Knight Returns. So mm-hmm. Batman helped usher in adult. Now, there has been some good adult comic book storytelling. And just mm-hmm. having someone assert, like, we can tell a mature adult story. Mm-hmm. Well, the movie that we're discussing today, which we may or may not like quite a bit, is downstream of that. So I guess mm-hmm. we have Frank Miller and some of those guys to thank for just saying, you can tell a, a, a Batman story for adults. But with that came, you can tell a Batman story for adults, and Mm -hmm. and that's unfortunate. But obviously, Tim Burton's movies in 1989 and 1992 are keying off of that. They're trying to be adult and kind of racy and violent. They're not fun. They're not concerned with being fun and for kids, even though they had these massive marketing campaigns where they sold billions of toys to, to kids like us at the time. But but they are basically adult properties. And then they would all name drop Frank Miller as being the big inspiration for that kind of stuff. But concurrent with Burton in 1992, which is when Returns comes out, the TV show, Batman the Animated Series, starts. And that's just a wonderful show. I mean, it's it's got this great art deco design. It's got Batman as this kind of city father, integrated, good character. 
it's got plenty of darkness and plenty of villains and plenty of everything that we associate with Batman. But maybe just because it was for kids or maybe because the creators had some real sensibilities, I don't know. I I think it kind of hits the mark and is some of the best Batman storytelling. Hmm. Uh, And and the 90s, you're also going to see, I forget their names, but like, is it Tim Sale and Joseph Loeb and people like that? Long Halloween, some great Batman stories. Jeff Jeff Loeb. Yeah, like Frank Miller was like, we could be dark. And mm-hmm. then people went and did terrible things with that. But also some great adult Batman stories got mm-hmm. got told. Things like Hush and Long Halloween and uh, Nightfall and stuff like that. Although I think Nightfall might actually be 80s. But I think. But a lot of that stuff is happening in the 90s. And then Schumacher takes over. Warner Brothers can't figure out what to do with the franchise movie-wise. Burton doesn't want to do another one. People really complained because Batman Returns was so dark and so mean. Mm-hmm. And so they give it to Joel Schumacher, gay schlock king Joel Schumacher, and he makes a gay schlocky pair of Batman movies that I don't think anybody much liked even at the time, although they made plenty of money. People really did like Batman Forever. Yeah, people like Batman Forever. They felt refreshing. And Tim, Tim, well, not Tim Curry, what's his name? Uh, Jim Carrey was at the uh-huh. height of his popularity. Right. And I'm hit and miss on Jim Carrey personally, but Jim Carrey does give a full-throated Jim Carrey performance in that movie as the Riddler, and people enjoyed it, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I guess. But but Batman and and Robin is just a train wreck, a terrible movie, hated at the time, hated after. Its legacy is uh, one of bat nipples and bat credit cards, and Mm -hmm. it's just a joke, an internet joke, and it just kills the franchise like you cannot... Nobody knows how to come back from that <laughs> until our dear, dearly beloved Christopher Nolan. But before we get to the Christopher Nolan movies, let me stress where the franchise was at at the end of the 90s. Throughout the 90s, some very popular, lucrative Batman stuff has been released. The Tim Burton movies, the Schumacher movies, the uh, Batman the Animated Series. It's all popular. People are hungry for stories featuring this character. But it's all, one way or another, a little bit uneasy with itself. The superhero movie as a genre is uneasy with itself. Because Sam Raimi's Spider-Man hasn't hit yet. Christopher Nolan's Batman hasn't hit yet. And Iron Man hasn't hit yet. Iron Man's not going to come along until 2010. And in their own individual ways, what all of those movies did throughout the Audis was just assert the right of the superhero movie to exist. Like, we can make a movie about a guy in an Iron Man suit, and we don't have to aggressively stylize it or find some ironic angle on it. It can just be that story. We can just tell that story. And Batman, you know, the animated series, it's animated. That's what lets you tell this ridiculous story. The, the Tim Burton movies, you know, they hired Jack Nicholson, the most prestigious actor, for, for an insane amount of money. And then DeVito in the sequel and Michelle Pfeiffer to come in and lend class and prestige to this whole enterprise. And they got Tim Burton, this young, hungry Disney animator, former Disney animator, who was going to aggressively stylize everything so that you could kind of put it into this fantasy box. Like, this is not meant to exist in the real world. Because we can't accept that this kind of story would happen in the real world. We haven't asserted the right to just make a movie that exists in anything resembling our place and time. And Joel Schumacher, kind of the same thing. Like, there's no Batman story on screen where they just say, yeah, this is something that could happen. This is something, this is, 
Nobody's found a way to make this psychologically plausible. No one's found a way to make this cinematically, visually plausible. And and so whether it's animation or stylization or whatever, you just you always got to find some angle that allows us to just fly into fantasy land. And that's all the 90s. And that's a lot of superhero stuff throughout the 90s. But in the early 80s, that all changes because of the movies that I mentioned. And in 2005, Christopher Nolan was going to lead the charge away from aggressive stylization, away from even psychological stylization, like the characters in the Schumacher movies and the Burton movies, and to some degree in the animated series even, they're not psychologically real. They're exaggerated. They're archetypal. They're, they're fantasy characters. They're, they're not just played you know, as plausible, real human beings. They, they have emotions that you're supposed to respond to and stuff like that. Like, you're, you're supposed to be invested in the stories, but none of it's played straight, if you know what I mean. And Christopher Nolan was the first man to play Batman straight up on the screen, to not feel like he needed to, in some way, apologize for just telling a Batman story. And that's awesome. We owe him a lot just for that. But it's interesting. It'll show you how dead Batman was as a movie property because by 2005, they're willing to just take a chance on this auteur director's vision who's famous for doing a little indie called Memento, which is, I guess, a good movie as far as it goes, violent and all that. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a good little puzzle thriller movie. And I think he'd done Insomnia by that point. He had. Yeah. Yeah. but, But it's not like... Like, like you would never just hand over the keys to a franchise to somebody like that. Yeah. At, I, I think now. Um, True. But they gave it to Nolan and he had a good pitch for it. And he made these, as we've already kind of talked about, these sort of, it's Batman. But what if he was in the real world with kind mm-hmm. of a post 9-11, real terrorists, real, how can we ground this in some verisimilitude? And like it or lump it. They they do a good job of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. They they take it about as far in that direction as you can go. But I don't think anyone's quite known what to do with Batman after that. Because you've had the Zack Snyder movies. They rushed Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, the movie with the greatest mm-hmm. title of all time, into production. And that movie has got, got a lot of interesting ideas. It's actually sure. it's actually not terrible. It's 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 got some real vision behind it, but it's yeah. also it's also mean and dark and does, doesn't understand Superman and kind of doesn't understand Batman. He's going around branding people and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's pretty mean. But, but I would argue that Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League basically gets Batman right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Zack Snyder filmed arguably one of the best Batman action scenes. That warehouse oh, yeah. fight is awesome. And Batman v Superman. True. Um, and Ben Affleck, as we've talked about many times, is a good city father-ish Batman as we've already talked about on this very podcast. But yeah, that's kind of the history of Batman. The comics keep selling. They will keep making movies forever. People love this character. couple quick bat statistics. The franchise has made $27.7 billion. That's not just the movies, but that's comics and stuff like that, which is not as much, but close to Barbie, Harry Potter, the MCU, and Disney princesses. So Batman alone comes about to the same level as the MCU and Disney princesses. 
he doesn't he has not made nearly as much money as the top six which have made well over 50 billion a piece and that would be star any, wars star wars yes titanic no these are franchises. Franchise. Sorry. Lord of the Rings? No, Lord of the Rings is it's under. got to be lower, really? yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you what's under Batman. Toy Story, Lord of the Rings, Peanuts, Dora the Explorer, Simpsons, Looney Tunes, James Bond, Star Trek, Muppets, and Superman have all made considerably less billions than Harry the Potter. Bat- so, yeah, Harry Potter. Harry Potter, the MCU, the MCU, and Disney princesses are all kind of in the wheelhouse with the ones that are well over are Star Wars is one. A very famous video game plumber would be another one. Well, Mario. Mario. And then an icon of a family, supposedly family from friendly theme parks. Mickey. Slash, yes, Mickey. Actually, another icon of that company, one that I wouldn't expect. Donald? He's, no, he's a bear. He wears a red shirt. Oh, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Huh. So I'll just say Pokemon, Hello Kitty, Mickey Mouse, Winnie the Pooh, Star Wars, and Mario have all made more money franchise-wise than Batman. But hmm. he is number seven after those so if you didn't have a bunch of parents buying hello kitty shirts for their babies then maybe batman would be beating them but he has made more money than toy story lord of the rings peanuts dora simpsons looney tunes james bond star trek the muppets or superman that that basically brings us to matt reeves the batman (laughs) i guess the one question that i have the question I want to answer, because it will enable me to make my argument about this movie, is why do people like Batman? What is it that makes this guy so iconic? And like, he's way bigger than James Bond. He's bigger than Harry Potter, money-wise at least. Like, mm-hmm. what is it about this character that's bigger than Superman? Like, Spider-Man, I don't know if he even ended up on the list. I mean, kids love Spider-Man. I assume Spider-Man's climbing up the list, and maybe he'll <coughs> he'll eventually get there. But... I have my theories, but do you guys have any? I think the, I think the dark avenging angel of death is a cool, you know, concept. I, I'm not just in the shadows; I am the shadows. Yeah, you know, that <laughs> sort of like at night when it's scary to be out on the streets. The idea that a, an avenger of the weak and innocent is out there—that's cool in and of itself. Just from a kid's perspective, Superman's more of a daytime hero. Batman's more of a nighttime hero. Yeah. And so that idea that, yeah, there could be danger lurking around every corner, but also the Batman could be out there. So that that's super cool and fun and appealing to the idea that you could just dress up and go beat the crap out of the, all the bad guys at night. That's cool. And then for as much as... We have this sort of like, you could never be Batman because Batman is a super genius, super athlete, one percenter with unlimited resources. Also, if you had unlimited resources, what could you do? Right. Like, that's a cool, fun fantasy. Could Elon Musk be Batman? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. If I had unlimited resources, what would I do? Like Elon Musk said, hey, I can change the course of the Ukraine-Russia little uh, uh, brouhaha that's going on over there. And now there are trucks full of Starlink. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's making a difference. We'll see what it is, but yeah. Yeah, the idea that you could just have that much power and just decide, you know, everybody else may be corrupt, the world may be corrupt, but you're not, and you have the resources to do something about it. So guess what? You're just going to do it. Like, that's a cool, fun fantasy. And... 
he also has uh, enough of a, a broken past that anybody who has any kind of brokenness can connect with him on some level. And that humanizes him as a as a character who is a one percenter. Right. So, well, he may be a one percenter, but we share that kind of brokenness. And right. I think all all those things kind of like you got the gadgets, you got the toys, you got the what if I had unlimited resources? Of course, I'm as brilliant. Of course, I could be as that. Of course, if I had, you can you can like any of these characters. You never imagine yourself having the limitations that you do, you imagine yourself being just as smart and just as clever and just as able. So. Yeah. I mean, I think the only additional spin I would put on it, because I was just thinking like, what makes this guy different? And this is leading up to my argument for why this is, I was going to say that he has no superpower. Well, he has Mm -hmm. no superpower. This is the best Batman movie. I think the one that we're about to talk about, and it's because it understands what I'm about to say which is, I think, Batman. So me and Ben were talking about it, and you said, if I was Friedrich Nietzsche, I would say... What? <laughs> you remember this? No. <laughs> this is the most silly. Um, but you knew it was silly. You said, if I was Nietzsche, I'd say it's the perfect uh, meeting of the Apollonian with the Dionysian or something like that. I didn't say that about this movie. No, you said about Batman. I'm talking, we're just oh, talking about oh, the appeal oh, of oh, Batman oh, oh, in general. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I'll... I'll I'll do it. Yes, yeah. I I did forget I said this, but yeah. So the Apollinian is is the is the like spiritual or subconscious force that says I want to order everything. I want to bring it out into the light. I want to make mm-hmm. it logical and rational and systematic and have mastery of it. And and the Dionysian is like is the id. Right. You know, yeah. this is just super ego and id. That's all. But it's but Nietzsche is and I I'm sorry I can't remember the book but he's just tracing this impulse through world religions a little bit and 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 through art and the Dionysian is is the urge that's just like man all the rage all the stuff that I suppress all the all the anxieties all the sex, all the sex every yeah. all the violence I'm just gonna bring it out I'm gonna I'm gonna channel bring it, it into the open I'm gonna channel it and so Batman is like got them both together so yeah Batman is absolutely just channeling that into a nighttime That's nocturnal right. p- personality. That's but right. but the thing I was thinking That's is right. what's the he difference puts them together? Like as as a dark young kid who felt traumatized by life and felt like there were lots of bad people out there. Of course I responded to Batman, but I also responded to Dracula. But why is Batman so much po- more popular than Dracula? It's not just about the unleash leashing of the id. It's about being able to channel the id control into it. something controlled, into something almost fascistically controlled. Like it's what if I could That's right. comp- I could summon my demons and then so thoroughly harness and defeat them that I could actually be good, that I could actually use n- not just be and this is the thing that some people don't understand about Batman. That he's I think not maybe an anti-hero. He's not an anti-hero. He's actually a hero. And that's an extremely appealing fantasy, actually. What, yeah. if, what if I could so thoroughly harness what's dark, what's broken, and what's evil about me that I could transmute it like through alchemy. Into actual goodness. Into actual goodness. Yep. Mm-hmm. Into actual righteousness. Man, what a powerful fantasy for a yep. nine-year-old or 13-year-old boy who Absolutely. Feels and that's what... Uh, that's what this movie understands. That's what this movie. And the only, there are only two, exactly two properties that understand that about Batman. And that's the bat Batman, the animated series and in this movie and, and Batman returns actually. Okay. Well, I wouldn't know that. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that when we, when we go that. back to it. So it would have been, 
eight or something I mean, stupid. Yes. You know? wow. so here's the thing. By that metric, I think <laughs> Nolan fails. I think Nolan doesn't like Batman. I think yeah. Nolan wants to say, yeah. you unleashed your id and actually it made things worse and you needed to die. Yeah, and there's no way, there's no way to do that. But a real good Batman story, I mean, a good Batman story is always going to play with these themes, like what happens when you unleash the id. But ultimately, the fantasy, and you could argue about whether it's a good fantasy or not, but the fantasy has to be, if I unleash this, I can actually control it such that it's good. And, and it could be about Batman learning to do that, which is what this movie's about. Learning to do that and then learning the ways, ways he has to mm-hmm. actually grow and become a more whole, complete, healthy person in order to... Yeah. Right. But it starts as that. It starts right. as externalizing right. and right. channeling. Right. And, and and not just what's dark and evil, but what's scared and, and alone and afraid in you. Yeah. Like channel right. that stuff too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're not just letting out your rage. You're it's letting your out vulnerability. your vulnerability. Yeah. 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 And it... You're actually taking your scars and weaponizing them. In That's this. right. Yeah, and then you have this sort of like the the that hospital scene is going to tip its hand to everybody to let you know that I know exactly what he's doing, exactly what's happening, and exactly why it's falling short. Yeah. Well, that's why I spoil. I mean, sorry to spoil my final ending take or whatever, but that's why I cried at the end of this movie. Yes. Yeah, so spoilers for the movie from here sorry. on out. By the way. Yep. I did too. It's, I think it's beautiful. It's <laughs> it's, of, it's, it, it's because Batman actually became like a city father. It's actually like he learned compassion. <laughs> well, yeah. he learned that he had to be more than vengeance. That's and, and, right. and, what, like, and what Ben Shapiro says is it's stupid because the movie's saying it's dumb for Batman to want to punish criminals, just like it's dumb for society to want to punish criminals. And actually, we should all just be liberal progressives. And sure, Matt Reeves might align more politically of that. He almost certainly does. But guess what? Is Batman going to punish criminals in the next in the sequel to this movie? You yes, bet he is. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's not stopping being Batman. He's 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 still vengeance where it's appropriate, but he is something more. And and the best Batman stories and the best stories in the comics, things like the Long Halloween or not so much. I mean, Frank Miller, I think, tips into just Batman's bad. But that's, and that's awesome. And that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's what Frank Miller is. But that's not what a good Batman story actually does. A good Batman story says Batman's good. He's actually, and I think Ben Affleck actually kind of got at this a little right. bit in, yeah. in his best he moments. Yeah. He's actually yeah, figured I mean, out. Snyder gave him the one scene that really mattered most, which is yes. he's the one guy running and without his costume, without his gear, without right. anything, but he is running into the chaos while everybody's running out of it. That's right. right. Yeah. And, and that's... And, that's the Batman Bruce Wayne that we all love. And, and right. he gave us a Batman in his late 40s, which I really yeah. respect. Someone who felt more fatherly. Pat, mm-hmm. Pattinson's going to get there. Yeah, I hope this so. This Batman is going to be ridden all the way to the end of the line where he's going to be Elder Statesman Batman and maybe five or seven movies of this Batman. I hope so. He I, can carry that weight. I hope they have him locked Pattinson in. Pattinson can. And I hope sure. Pattinson wants to do it. I assume Matt Reeves probably wants to do it, yeah. but I'm sorry it took so long to get to this take, but I thought it was important to talk about baggage and context a little bit because I just think this is far and away the best Batman movie. I've, I've thought about it a decent amount, and I don't think anything else really comes close in terms of capturing what I love about the character, which is that, which is it, this, this movie just taps into a fantasy that I loved so much when I was 11 or 12. And, and, and I don't think Burton gets it. I think Burton is more anti-hero. I think mm, um, definitely. I think Nolan is like 
things are complicated in today's geopolitical world. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Good insight. <laughs> but, but this movie's like in a dark, broken, horrible, seven-esque serial killer world of the gangsters are running the show. Uh, can our hero figure out how to take his demons and become a father and with them in a really positive way? And I just love it for that. And we could argue about how clunky or how and the answer smooth is, it is yes. Yeah, he just has to keep dealing with his own daddy issues, right. as he does, and be committed to actually being what Gotham needs. And I thought this movie played fair with Thomas Wayne. I mean, we could go back and talk more about just the movie and the fun action and stuff, but just in terms thematically, like Marvel's always like, "Your dad sucks." And he betrayed you, and the king of Wakanda was just an idiot. Like, Marvel always actually sort of makes you hate the dads. Yeah. Uh, even when it's Spider-Man processing Iron Man after he's de- dead. It's like, Tony Stark was a jerk to all these. This movie actually does a nice job with Thomas Wayne was a really good man who made a really bad mistake, trusted somebody he shouldn't have, got somebody killed. I mean, it's like a King David level mistake or something mm-hmm. like then that. Then he tried to right the wrong and and that got him and, and his wife killed his and wife. now his son is paying for it. Right. But it's fair. It's the kind of mistake a real father that you could still love mm-hmm. might make in defense of his wife. Right. And Andy Serkis really sells sells that in that gorgeous hospital scene i mean yeah uh, and and by drawing that moral line it ensures that actually the this movie doesn't side with the riddler right as much as you're like does this movie kind of side with the riddler it's just like everything's rotten let's uncover it well that's that that, they're there there that's that's all you had to say to nail what i don't like about the nolan movies nolan kind of sides with the joker he kind of side like he's he's like come on the joker is way more compelling and the joker has a way of dealing with this city burn it down yeah and when you see what the city's like, okay, Joker, you have a point. Nathan, I think you forget the prisoners on that boat transport. <laughs> I'm going to do what you should have did. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a good Batman moment. I'll give it to him. I mean, uh, but it's so clunky. But it's so clunky. And frustra- it's just frustratingly clunky. It doesn't land emotionally. Right. It's just like, I'm going to assert the arbitrary goodness of convicts in the face of the Joker's anarchy in order to redeem this the, movie's morality. The right. fun thing about... Uh, what what you have to do in any Batman movie is ask, you have that, we're not so different, you and I, right. mm-hmm. tired, cliched question. And what what we do in this one is we actually have Batman, who's trying to be good, have to look in the mirror and say, wait. You're right. We're not so different. And I see how you mistake me for being you and how, like, so which means I have to therefore change. I have to change. Therefore I have to change. Like, mm-hmm. oops. And there's so many places where you're. you're I'm your a standard. good man who made a mistake. Right. <laughs> and, and and he's gonna. These movies are always having their cake and eating it too. We're just. I'm just so used to like. Well, he told Catwoman not to kill the guy so that we could have that moment, but then Cat she kills him anyway, and we're mm-hmm. supposed to feel good about it. This movie actually plays fair with all of those things. Like when John Turturro's character dies, it's fair. You don't feel, yeah, because you're not supposed to. You, yeah. you actually side with Batman when he doesn't want her to just take revenge. Like yeah. it's, it's just, so that's, that's the big take that I wanted to give about the movie. And it sounds like you guys, it sounds like we're all on the same page. So I want to go on record as loving this movie. Uh, but 
that presents an additional complication because this movie is very dark. This movie is very mean in its violence. This movie is in some ways one of the more intense movies we've covered on this podcast. This movie is taking its cues from a serial killer drama that some of our listeners will no doubt have seen or heard of called Seven from the late 90s, which was a David Fincher movie, you know, about a serial killer leaving clues and stuff. And this movie is just doing that aesthetically in the way that it's designed and the way it's, it's, it's supposed to evoke both Zodiac and seven. I mean, it's, it's, it's not so much a ripoff as an, I think you could call it a homage because Matt Reeves has been very upfront about, I love those movies and I wanted to do a detective Batman story kind of set in that world. So if people go and see this, so people will hear me say, I loved this movie. And then maybe they'll go and see it if they haven't seen it yet. And they'll be like, oh, I'm just sitting here watching a dark, twisted, psychotic serial killer drama. You got the scenes with the Joker in Dark Knight where he's acting the terrorist and kind of some of that dark stuff. This is in some way a spiritual sequel to all that stuff where you're just like, oh, I'm dealing with real world evil Mm -hmm. in a way that is pretty palpable. I'm dealing with Batman pummeling people's faces in a way that's pretty palpable. All the death traps and things like that from, from the beginning. I mean, Batman's first fight scene, he's going to go off on a dude and just punch and punch and punch and punch and punch and punch. And then we're going to have a scene where a guy gets clubbed to death. And yeah, the very first scene of this movie is going to be a his thumb cut off. We're going to see a family man enjoying his time with his family as, as, a, as, a, as a killer looks at him through. We get the POV point of view killer's shot. Uh, through the killer's goggles, kind of a, a Zodiac or serial Then the killer wife and kids are going to leave. He's going to come in and he's just going to destroy dad. Right. Yeah. So it's this is an intensely visceral, gruesome, dark, not for kids movie. That barely gets a, it's P, barely gets uh, cut down to its PG-13 rating. Yeah. It's, felt- a, it's an R-rated movie without the mm-hmm. gore that you would expect in an R-rated movie. With all the violence, but minus the the gore. Yeah, and yeah, it, I think it's completely hypocritical that you can cut out some blood spurts and get a PG thirteen. This is just an R rated movie, and it should have been rated R. Movie. And there mm-hmm. should have been less kids at the screening. That yeah. I, I my attended. kids are not watching this movie. Yeah, none of them. So, what do we want to say about that? Besides that, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It, you went to see a PG thirteen superhero movie, and it was not a Marvel movie. And that's just the way it is. Well, I think that's why I wanted to start with such bat baggage and bat context, because I think anyone who actually knows this character it shouldn't sh- be surprised. Shouldn't be that surprised. I mean, this is this but is. But we've a- seen a, a million Batman movies by now. Mm-hmm. There are like eight of them or more, and never seen anything like that in a Batman movie. Yeah, but we've had to see the Joker break a cue stick and say, "Can you murder this other guy?" I mean, yeah, or slam a guy's head through a pencil and. Yeah, and we're kind of a nerd because uh-huh. we're so used to living with those movies. But actually, even starting with Tim Burton '89, Batman has been an escalating series of, mm-hmm. hey, this is a little bit more dark and adult than what we were expecting. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, and this was marketed that way. There's no question about that. Yeah, yeah. Either. So it's it's just the reality of the movie, and it's it's just it's not good. It's not healthy to have that level of violence that you're exposing yourself to. But 
it also, if we're just talking about caveats, it's it also has to tip its hand pretty heavily to the to the religion of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, Batman is a one percenter. How do you have a movie? And he's mm-hmm. he, he he's he is a privileged white male, even if he's an orphan. He's a billionaire, and he's got all the things and all the toys, and he's trying to be the hero. So how do you how do you deal with that? Well, all the movie's villains are wealthy white guys and or or they're white incels right right and so this sort of like although in my head canon batman was beating up antifa at the end of the movie yeah but in matt reeves's canon he's beating up trumpers but in reality's canon he's beating up antifa that's mm-hmm. actually who that the Riddler is, uh, yeah. weaponized was a bunch of progressives who were mad that the one percenters had Mess them over and Absolutely. we're going to take out. I mean, Antifa, yeah. Look up what Antifa does. This, yeah, the, no, you're right. I, I know Matt Reeves would disagree, but right. Matt Reeves is an idiot. This was Antifa. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's actually okay. possible he wouldn't disagree. It's possible that he's simply BLM on the BLM side and the opponent of Antifa, right? Yeah, but BLM says they're the opponent of Antifa and the but Antifa. They're not. Yeah, they're not. So, but so, mm-hmm. and then so. You have either white incels mm-hmm. or you have uh, privileged white gangsters. Those are all the bad guys, every bad guy. And then every single person on uh, that surrounds Batman is a person of color. So Commissioner Gordon is black. The new cool mayor. The new cool mayor is a black lady. The the cop in the in the room that's actually sympathetic to Batman is Latino mm-hmm. Martinez. And then Catwoman is Zoe Kravitz. So you just have him surrounded by that. And you have to like play with him being uncomfortable with his privilege. Right. So all of that is... Well, there's one other thing that we should add to the caveat list, which is this movie actually contains some sexuality, which is something that we're pretty unused to in our current crop of... of Even James Bond has been so neutered and Mm de-sexed the last through the Greg era, but this movie is like, you remember women have legs. I mean, I mean, it's kind of, it's <laughs> mm-hmm. not sophisticated, but when, it's, when we meet uh Catwoman, we're going to see her undressed down to her underwear. And, and then, then she's going to wear a lot of slinky costumes in her. Yeah. Role yeah as a, she's going to use her sexuality for purposes. And mm-hmm. yeah. So just a lot of bad in this movie that might make it not worth seeing for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. But I'm not going to pretend like, I think it wasn't worth seeing for me. I liked this movie. I think movies can deal responsibly with these things. And I think this movie by and large does. It goes over the top in all of the ways that we just mentioned. And it's too bad. But I think it's possible to make an adult Batman movie. And that's what this was. And I enjoyed it. And I think a Christian adult can enjoy it responsibly. If you disagree with that, that's fine. I respect that. And I won't rate you for not wanting to see this movie you should definitely know that it has those things and do not bring your kids i'm glad i didn't bring my 14 year old son to see this pg-13 movie and i don't intend for him to see it anytime soon yeah yep but for the first hour of the movie i thought i think my my jaw was just on the floor at how cool and fun the movie was and how much it promised and how much it was delivering as it promised well, m- most movies these days feel like they're made by mentally ill children who don't know how to string together <laughs> plot points. Like the scripts are incoherent. 
Like, even something that we kind of liked, like the no, no Time to Die James Bond movie, there's there's so many scenes that don't go anywhere. Or this character was doing that. M was feeling this way, and then the next scene, they're friends. It's like it all kind of makes sense on a scene to scene basis. We complain about this constantly with the Marvel movies. Like like it, it's gotten so bad that it feels like actually it's it's a evil thing about these movies. It's yeah. the thing I always say about the what's my phrase about the Spider-Man. Meaning decoupled from ritual symbol. Ritual yeah. decoupled from Yeah, meaning. it's like we actually don't want meaning. We just want the ritual of these characters going through the motions that they always go through. And it doesn't really matter. Not only does it not matter what it's connected to morally, but we want to go out of our way to disconnect it from anything morally or emotion or even emotionally in any kind of way that tracks because we want the uh, this the the low attention span deranged uh, tiktok children of tiktok <coughs> to to just be eating their popcorn looking at their phones and then looking up when something i mean it's like that's how movies are designed and it's deranged but this movie has a script that someone wrote that like follows from a to b to c to it's not a masterpiece like Casablanca or something, but it's just like, wow, somebody sat down and came up with a story. Every aspect, there's not an aspect of the movie that was that was lazy or right. that wasn't thought through. So it's just everything from the score to the plot, to the writing, to the acting, to the directing, to the cinematography and the shots that they chose. There's just, the, to the action choreography with, a couple of exceptions in a couple of those places, minor caveats. This was just a constructed movie that's a movie. And it's so nice to have a movie assert that from the very beginning so that you can kind of relax. Like, oh, I'm in the hands of somebody that wants to tell a story. They feel like they've proven that they can tell a story. Cool. Let me buckle my seatbelt and s- see where this is going. Whereas something like Spider-Man, even, I'm always a little bit on edge because I'm just like, mm-hmm. I can't trust these people it's like if somebody yeah. was cornered you at a party and started telling you a story and it wasn't following what they were saying like the pieces of their story weren't connecting you'd want to like go find somebody else you would want to find matt reeves at the party so that he could begin to tell you a story with like a hook that drew you in and then i'm sorry i'm just repeating myself but i i was sitting there i don't know that my jaw hit the floor but i was i felt like i was pinching myself like oh it's a movie i forgot movies i like movies with stories and characters and stuff like we haven't had one of those at least in big franchise filmmaking forever yeah the last time i felt that way in a theater the last time i was like oh i'm in a movie it like cares it's gonna see the whole thing through and make promises and have payoffs was king arthur legend of the sword however many years ago that was Mm -hmm. but i remember sitting there like oh this is just a complete movie which is many years ago now yeah i didn't expect anything from it but right yeah so on that level it was just great and even the places where it stumbles it just feels like the old school's kind of stumble we're like okay the studio said they had to have a car chase so here's the lame car chase and that is the big stumble of the movie yeah that was the first time it broke my reality and i felt like (coughs) oh crap well it's a line of demarcation between the perfect first hour or so and the yeah okay it is the moment where from that moment on now we've got some some problems not not super big problems but things just aren't as perfect as the first that first hour whatever it is up until the batmobile is masterfully constructed Mm. every scene is built around a shot that is perfect the score is perfect the acting is 
great. Like the plot is moving along that action set piece after action set piece. It's just like, it's been said the, the King Arthur movie was the last time he remembered anything like this. For me, it's uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. is oh. the only thing that I can compare it to just in terms of mm-hmm. like, they cared about every aspect of this movie and they executed it. They realized their vision like they meant to do everything. And, and kudos to DC for being mm-hmm. hands-off enough to let them do it. And if if a dumb car chase is the price I have to pay for... I, I, I see two studio notes in this movie. I see, can you give us a car chase with the Batmobile and can you tease the Joker? And if those are the... Pri- uh, spoilers, but we already said spoilers. If those are the two prices that I have to pay for yeah. a movie this well-constructed, then yay, great. Yeah, I mean, the Batmobile... I mean, definitely just felt like in a movie that that felt very auteury, very tonally, like it knew exactly what it wanted to be. That really did stand out as like, we have to have merch. We have to have a Batmobile. It has to matter. It has to have a scene. And also Reeves and company saying, we don't care about that. So we'll throw that in last. And it's badly choreographed and everything about it just kind of yeah i was gonna say off. the editing like you can't really follow what's going on for most of it there's a couple cool shots the big one in the trailer where he comes out of the flames after the penguin thinks he got him but the i didn't find that the choreography like f- for for such clean awesome action mm-hmm. the car chase it really felt like the movie was done they showed it to the audience the audience said hey can we have a little extra action the studio said, hey, we'd like to sell some Batman toys. And they shot it like mm-hmm. afterwards because the movie, you could pluck it out. The plot would still work. It'd be a better movie altogether. Yeah, it's just one of those. Minus that scene. It's like the if anybody ever saw the old Nicolas Cage movie, The Rock, it has this ridiculous 45-minute yeah. <laughs> car chase, which accomplishes nothing besides the audience <laughs> is stupid and bored and they need a car chase. Uh-huh. So like at the end, so Sean Connery is escaping from custody, and at the end of the mm-hmm. car car chase, they get him back into custody. <laughs> it's just like uh, it's yeah, nothing happens. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, right. But lots of milk trucks get turned over and things blow up. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's kind of awesome actually. But I don't remember that. I remember that. It was a fun car chase. <laughs> it's a good car chase. <laughs> Probably maybe Michael Bay's best action scene, which is not saying too much. But anyway, yeah. Where were we? Really nicely constructed movie. What do you guys think about Pat, Pat, Robert Battinson, as I call him? First person on the internet to think of that, I bet. Yep, I bet you are. First person on the internet to think of Bat. He was, he was great. Everybody was great. Like, there just wasn't, you mean his performance or his character? Either one. I mean, I'm a big Robert Fannison, I guess. Like, I just like him. I've always liked him. He's easy to make fun of in the Twilight movies, but he's he's done the perfect Leonardo DiCaprio style. Everybody knows me as a pretty boy, so I'm going to play grungy role after grungy role, and I, I tend to always yeah. like his grungy roles. I don't know that I've seen a lot of them. I don't like him. I don't like him in interviews and G- stuff. But. In general, I don't like him on screen. I don't like him as a person, but he's undeniable as a top-tier talent. So, yeah. And I, I, I liked his Batman a lot. He wears the mask for, what do you want to say, like 70, 80, maybe 90% of this movie. That's and right. manages to create a whole character with just eyes and a jawline to go with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. You really feel invested in Batman as a character. Mm-hmm. It makes you care about him and feel like the Batman is the vulnerable one. Right. Yeah. Like you're pulling for him. I mean, I loved his arc. I loved 
where we started with him. I love that we dropped into a hard-boiled detective noir with a voiceover. And I was a little hit and miss on the taxi driver slash Rorschach slash... Uh, I don't know that we needed a diary. It would have been more elegant to do without it, I think. But I just thought it was fun. If you're going to do it... I agree. I, th- I thought it was fun. I it, thought it was fun. I was here for it. I, I mean, was I was like, getting really excited. You cut back to that guy in the hollow... That little uh, punk in the Halloween mask with yeah. the rain glistening yeah. off of it. And it's just like, yes! But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about this Batman? He walks slowly out of shadows <laughs> as opposed to lunging out of shadows this batman just like walks everywhere which i really thought was cool you need to take a lot of time coming down those stairs <laughs> that was fun that's <laughs> the sound of his boots as he walks up to criminals <laughs> yeah another thing i wanted to say is that so nolan nolan always has these big epic movies where he's like i'm going to create a world you know the whole world of dreams or the whole world of this weird time travel conceit or the whole world of batman and nolan is really bad at creating worlds Mm -hmm. he's really bad at convincing you that these are actual people that like it's lived in that like this mob of of ninjas the league of shadows is actual people that they have any actual relationship that anyone is actually a person (laughs) and not just a prop he's bad at that but reeves is great at that and so yes. every single punk that Batman beats up, for for example, feels like that's that's a different guy than the other punk. He has his own individuality. Their I gang mean, has their own personality. Thing, their own yeah. shtick. They have their own shtick. Like everyone the, who beats up in the club is like, oh, that guy's like that, and that guy's yeah. like this. The the initiate in the gang, yeah. like he can still remember his face. You can yeah. still like, remember his face. The two dudes that he keeps meeting at the door, that's yeah. a funny little yeah. running yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and Reeves, Reeves is great at that. Every The world feels lived in. You're like, no, this is an actual gang of criminals. This is an actual city. This is actual, like, they have these problems. This is an actual police force. I mean, he does he does the work, and Nolan can never do that. He just well, does well, not care. Nolan just in the feels same way. like, hey, here it's Chicago. You like Chicago? Yeah. Uh, this is the best Gotham City by far, I think. I mean, Burton's like Burton feels like I don't think that you can actually believe in Batman unless I create such an exaggerated reality <laughs> right. that. That that like a person in a bat costume could exist in this reality, um, but that was early comic book movies, right. relatively speaking. And now it was a fun idea. Yeah, I, I like Burton's crazy world, especially in Batman Returns, where it's just like it's Christmas it's, and it's, it's just a fairy tale and, of some kind. Yeah, it's just a weird fairy tale. I enjoy that, but this Gotham City is the best Gotham City. It feels lived in. It feels real. It also it feels gothic. Uh, Bruce Wayne's mansion actually does feel like a Batman Returns kind of crazy emo yeah. uh, kind of decaying world. Mm-hmm. But then you go into the apartments and stuff. I mean, again, it is directly ripping off Seven. It, it, it's Seven, the city. We don't know what city they're in, but it, we know it always rains and there's always fluorescent amber lighting mm-hmm. and uh, all this kind of stuff. I'm not sure how to feel about that, but yeah, I don't know. You said something, Jake, like if, as long as he's being upfront about it, you said it's more noble for him to just rip it off as opposed to try and remix yeah, it enough to hide, to hide it. it. Yeah. You don't try to hide it. I mean, if you're just going to do it, I mean, it's the same thing as like, oh, I don't know. You have, when you have a, a franchise like this, you have the ability to say seven, but Batman. Mm-hmm. And if he's not going to do the work of creating his own thing, if he's going to rip it off, I mean, Nolan just I, rip it off and say, hey, this is a tribute to David Fincher. I love his movies. I love what he did. 
And I just wanted to do that, but with Batman, because I thought that would be cool. And other people would think it was cool. And I also thought that would be a cool service to Fincher that people would come out of this and be like, oh, I want to watch Seven now. Yay. But yes, I think that's true. And also, let's. Nolan did the exact same thing. Nolan did, I like Michael Mann, and I'm going to do Heat as Batman. And that's that's mm-hmm. all The Dark Knight is, is just from the sound design to everything. It is so Heat specifically. I wish I could say I thought of that before, but I hadn't. But, it's, but you acknowledge that I acknowledge as, it. as true. I mean, I think Nolan said that. I'm sure he did. But especially, just... especially the first, the initial bank robbery mm-hmm. with the masks. Oh, yes. No, that that I did know. That that um, I clocked. But, yeah. but even just the everything about it is mm-hmm. not vintage 80s Michael Mann so much, but 90s heat mm-hmm. Michael Mann. So, yeah, we're, we're all, all in on Robert Battenson. Trying to think where we are. I guess we could just go through the characters. Are we all in on Andy Serkis? He was great. Yeah. He and was. I like I like the I like the degree to which he is responsible for creating the Batman in this one. I like that he called him Bruce. I mean, these guys are so close. Let's ditch the Yeah. The comic book, you Mr. know Wayne. Mr. Wayne stuff. Master it, Bruce. That, that always felt weird Master about Master Wayne. That always, that felt weird by the end of the Kane run. <laughs> like he's so close to Batman that he's rebuking him for being Batman. Uh, which is there again, Christopher Nolan actually hates Batman. You're going to have Michael Caine tell Batman off for being Batman. The audience has to side with Michael Caine. But who wants to side with Michael Caine when he's berating Batman for being Batman? Anyway, the yeah, I just liked Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis is just, we know that Alfred is Bruce's surrogate father. So let's just have it be all in of a piece. He is team Batman from the get-go. And he's going to help solve the riddles and he's gonna help and he has enough of that fatherly like hey bruce you really should mm-hmm. be minding your company like he's already he has a- to take care of his eat some some berries <laughs> he knows the moral of this movie yeah. before bruce i mean from the first scene he's like yeah. you can't just be vengeance he doesn't but the movie doesn't feel the need like a nolan movie to say master wayne you can't just be vengeance <laughs> let me explain the theme of the movie to you <laughs> <laughs> so he's just like eat some berries and attend your business meeting and it's all subtext which is great Mm-hmm. paying the audience the compliment of maybe the audience is smart enough to get this without someone just explaining yep. it in dialogue. Uh, so Circus is great. MVP for me, Jeffrey Wright is, oh, yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Wright's always the MVP of everything that he's in. He's so much fun to watch. You can give him a nothing part like Felix Leiter and he'll bring so much to it. And what I said to Jake is I think this is, this is their middle finger to the Bond franchise. Like, hey, you know how you had Jeffrey Wright and you never did anything with him? We're going to cast him in the exact same part, doing the exact same stuff, yeah. and just put him through the entire movie. And it'll, like, like so many yeah, he, of those scenes could have been deadly and boring if you don't just have Jeff, just having Jeffrey Wright there with Batman is like. Yeah. And this is all, like, you, you said that to me. And before I had said to, to Ben that he had more to do in this movie than in five Bond movies, mm-hmm. I didn't quite go as far in my mind as thinking it was the same character. But what I did, which I agree with, what I love is too about everything about Commissioner Gordon is the same as we where we started at this point with Batman. We dropped in, he's been Batman for two years and Alfred's there and is right with him. And Commissioner Gordon is his best buddy sidekick and they're just friends mm-hmm. and, and the movie never creates any false conflict there's no tension to, yeah. like gordon is a hundred percent team batman from the get-go <laughs> and I, I just love everything about that i really love the scene where they're doing the under the breath 
take the keys, <laughs> punch me. Like that was just such That's a really great fun. scene. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright really like deserves a, a nomination at least for best supporting. I, I think he actually, if there was any justice in the world, does. And it's not because the part's written well. It's because the part's not written at all. They just said, we're going to cast Jeffrey Wright, and he's going to do everything to make this character. And that's what he does. And that's what a great supporting character does. Like, you don't, if you read this script, I don't think you'd be that impressed by the Gordon mm-hmm. character. But you cast Jeffrey Wright precisely because he brings a ton of just. Yeah. And he. He nails it and lands it all the way through. It's really cool. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess fourth down or you got in no. the uh, no. uh Riddler. I guess that's 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 the other one of the other big ones we have to talk killed about. Killed it. Paul Dano or Dano or Dano. I like Paul Dano. I have not decided I need to see it again. I thought maybe he was a little bit big in his his big scene. Like this the actual scary thing about psychopaths, and I think Ledger even understood this, is that they think they're reasonable. And so I loved all the masked stuff. Like he did a good job with all the, I'm scaring you on purpose stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe he was playing a little googly eyed in his big scene, but it was effective. So I might just watch it again and it might sit, sit better with me. Well, what I liked about it is he totally thought he was reasonable and thought he had the drop on everything. And then when it when his reality was broken, he broke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was devastating it, it, in a way that revealed just how messed up he really is. And I just, I liked the way that was played. I liked the way that was set up. I liked the way it was paid off. I liked the Bruce Wayne, mm. Bruce Wayne of it all. And the mm-hmm. questions created and the degree to which he did or did not know that Batman and Bruce Wayne were the same person. And then... But he definitely, like the slow boil reveal of thinking that he and Batman were on the same team, mm-hmm. ultimately, I just, every, I just thought, I thought he could have, I thought the way to go was up in that scene. He could have gone down and he went up and I really liked it. Up like he was more dramatic. Yeah, just the, the drama went up. Yeah, my, my intuition is it worked like that because he was, it was like Batman was his partner, mm-hmm. probably his biggest fan. Yeah. It was like, oh, finally someone who, who understands me. We're working from, from the same project. You're awesome he, in a he, different way than I am. And You don't know what I know. If you did, you'd be doing the same thing. We're going to get them all together. Like, Yeah. I mean, I like, he's the right, he's good casting. Like, he doesn't have a lot of innate charisma, and that's perfect. He's like the guy that you cast as in Dark Knight, the guy that figures out Bruce Wayne's identity and <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a schlub. Yeah. He's just some, some dude like thinks he's got the drop on things and it adds some pathos actually to the Riddler. Like this is just a sad, broken idiot, like actually. Mm-hmm. So I, I might really fall in love with it on another viewing. I, I wasn't in love with it, but that might've just been like the chemical combination of my expectations versus, I mean, then Kevin Spacey from seven was of course in my mind, which is hard not to be for anyone who's seen that movie, which does the exact same trick of the killer is going to reveal himself two thirds of the way through the movie, which is a pretty common trick in these things these days. But yeah, I, I did like it when the police caught him. That was maybe my favorite. Yeah, that's fine. Moment yeah. where he's, I was just ordering some pumpkin pie. <laughs> it's just I'm like, which of these ideas is real? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> That's pretty fun. By the way, I missed it. Did they actually do Edward Nigma on any of the ideas? They did Edward 
something Nashton was his real name or something. Yeah, and then but I don't remember. I wasn't looking. I was I was looking and trying to see if it was Edward Nigma, and I don't think it was Nigma. I will say his serial killer lair with all the scrawled notebooks and ciphers and stuff was a step too far into comic book silliness slash not actually comic book silliness, but serial killer chic sort of silliness. Like I just I never need to see another creepy serial killer lair where they've made well, see, I a took, thousand diaries and stuff like that. I took most of that as a as the next puzzle. Right. As the next set piece puzzle in his like this was designed for Batman to see it would maybe it didn't look this way until he knew until he was designing it for being caught. Like that's kind of more how I because you have that thing where he's like catching and then he's gonna go back with his bat computer and right look and I don't know. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I but I, you know I've not seen Seven or any of these Zodiac or any of these any of these other movies. They're not in my head. I mean that that crap on the walls is ubiquitous now. Yeah, it's very Thomas Harris, the Silence of the Lambs type stuff. It's just I don't know that there. I don't think there's ever been. I could be wrong. I'm not a huge true crime nut, but I don't think there's ever been a serial killer that's ever done anything like that. I don't think we've ever discovered anyone's lair. I, certainly, there are serial killers that keep trophies and do weird things, but. I don't think we've ever discovered anything that's remotely like that uh, in real life. It's just the conceit of the movies that they made a joke about him keeping the thumb as a trophy and he gave the thumb back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Part of the riddle thumb drive. It is. It it does highlight something I like about ledger's Joker, which is a whole nother conversation, but I like how it feels like he's actually not that theatrical unless until he has to be like when you, he's first introduced us with the gangsters and their little huddle, he just walks out. He just, I like how Ledger's Joker kind of throws it away a lot, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't like have a lair that's draped in purple and. Right. A la Jack Nicholson. A la Jack Nicholson, yeah. Catwoman, Selena Kyle. She was always going to, I think, be the hardest sell and be the most difficult to get right because it's Catwoman. I don't know how to quantify it, but I thought she did a great job of. They did a good job of giving her a good backstory, and then she did a good job of just being pretty likable and sympathetic, and she worked. Well, I feel like I've been so beaten down by feminism in these movies that just the fact that Batman could hold her down and she couldn't do anything about it felt like, oh, this is more like an actual woman. Yeah, she can Mm -hmm. beat up other people, maybe other dudes, but if Batman's there, she's got, she just can't do anything. Even her fights with the other dudes, they kind of tried to do like, when she's got the drop on somebody, she can do it. And she's got these gyms, gymnastics, Mm -hmm. but, but she's not, we're not pretending like her body size relative to the body size of all these goons doesn't make a big difference. difference. Yeah. She's got a, she better get it right. Well, and even once, once Falcone, Falcone can, can, can recover, it, so he's got the weight and the strength. She can't do anything against that. Right, and and that, and that I like that not because I hate women and want to see them get beaten up, but because I just want to see a move. It just adds some drama when we actually have a character who's vulnerable, and usually that's the woman throughout all storytelling. And it's nice when mm-hmm. you can do that. And this movie actually did that well and, and then it does it to her again in the final fight because i was just expecting well she'll have a big part in the final fight she'll take out a third of the bad guys no she takes out one bad guy and then mm. she gets knocked down again and has to be saved yeah which is pretty uh, which is re- refreshing yeah which it, means with- a a beaten up shot to pieces batman has to take uh, an adrenaline shot right to save her 
but he's he can save her right <laughs> in that condition great. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's where uh, she with, can't with, save herself no it's like the price that we have to pay to even watch the movie enjoy the movie make the movie is to have a woman do gymnastics against thugs given that like accepting that the movie actually gives us a likable vulnerable mm-hmm. heroine who's also dressed immodestly for most of her running time in the movie mm-hmm. which felt weird by the way I, again like Movies actually don't trade that much on the female body these days. The last time I can really remember is Iron Man 2 doing things like that. And everybody was so thoroughly disgusted and like, like mainstream progressive liberal culture makes fun of that movie and thinks it's kind of creepy and gross. This movie had an excuse because it's like the gangsters all have all their women dressed that way. But men have been directing movies with excuses like that now for a hundred years. So too bad about the immodesty, but I liked her. I, I really expected to hate her. Like she, she showed up about a third of the way into the movie and I was like, Oh yeah, Catwoman's in this story. I forgot. I'm going to have to make allowances for that. But actually she was a good character. Uh, who haven't we talked? Have we not talked about any of the, the bad guy, the rogues gallery, oh, except I, for the Riddler. Uh, oh, well, yeah. So we got to do penguin, big stunt casting with Colin Farrell. I mean, he worked really well. It was really great. I don't know why it had to be Colin Farrell and five tons of makeup, but it was a good character. And this is just my bias. I'm more impressed by Pattinson being pretty and figuring out how to be a credible Batman than I am by Farrell being uglified, ugly, wearing four tons of makeup and talking like this. He does a good job though. The character works. He's fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a lot of fun. And I, but I loved, I did not know John Turturro was going to be in this movie. And I thought I John, didn't either. And he <laughs> was so, he was so awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, 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 what a great way to play sideways to the material and to the <laughs> expectation of who this character is going to be. I lost, like, <laughs> hey, remember the, the time that he was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah, uh, it's super cool. Well, and he's wearing these weirdo glasses. The 70s style I I could watch John Turturro just mumble (laughs) wearing those glasses for for four hours. (laughs) So awesome. They've said about Reeves is going to do a director's cut that's like four hours, an additional hour of content. (laughs) I hope it's just all John Turturro monologuing (laughs) in those glasses. (laughs) Uh, That's the kind of thing I love in movies is you've got a character who should obviously be played by a burly Brooklyn accented dude and you just get john turturro to do something off the wall with it (laughs) and he feels decadent and slimy and like the evil father character that he like he just he actually fits the role better than a more traditional casting like the nolan movie had for whoever played falcone in that Mm, tom tom wilkinson who is an awesome actor but he just didn't get a much of a script yeah, he didn't so. get much of a script is he the one that says uh you always fear what you don't understand don't understand unfortunately yeah john turturro is great what else is there to talk about? This movie had a theme. It had musical oh themes. Goodness. It was just so a simple <laughs> two or three note motif. What was it again? It's like half the Imperial March, really. And you can hear. But anyway, it, it's great. It works. It's, it's the first uh, new score I can remember coming out of a theater with it was stuck in my head. Yeah, I mean, everybody says the Avengers theme is memorable, but how is. many movies did I have to watch before I absorbed it? Yeah. Yep. This one, one and done. Now, they also 
rammed it into those trailers, which is yeah. part of it. But it's still great. Well, and again, it's just like, did you know that you can marry images to music and it can create a powerful effect? <laughs> like has, Mar- has Marvel, outside of James Gunn, has Marvel ever just done like here's the scene that we designed to be the awesome scene like, will you guys finally agree with me about the elevator scene with captain america when you compare it to something like the batman you think of what matt reeves would have done with the music and the composition to make that elevator scene oh like, yeah iconic yeah it still is but yeah I but it's iconic you. because they did the lamest version of something that had to be like it's just a good idea but conceptually it's iconic it's not actually executed all that well that is my argument i'll give you that for sure i i this movie was designed i mean it's just the it understands what a movie is and what a movie can be and so score is huge and they michael giacchino or however you say his name killed it It it's awesome it was perfection Mm -hmm. and brought so much elevated everything but the same thing is true about the cinematography and shot composition, mm-hmm. where every scene, it feels like, has that at least one killer comic book panel shot mm-hmm. that was like conceptualized and designed and storyboarded. And like they had artistic renderings and like, this is the shot. This is what we want it to look like. And then they got it and built scenes around it or used them as payoffs that they set up. It's just like, yeah, no, it's, it's the ma- the beauty of, film is the marry the marriage of sound and sight yeah and and cutting this movie was masterfully edited the action scenes are great there's lots of full body action uh like you can see everything like from batman's head all the way to his toe you compare that to a nolan movie where it's like there's a knuckle and uh some sound design they choreographed every fight scene Mm mm-hmm so you just just that in and of itself would have been cool. Just every fight scene being choreographed. Mm-hmm. Super cool. But they composed it like they they shot it, they composed it. They had fun ideas for most of the scene for most action scenes mm-hmm. and they were super generous just like conceptually with each idea for each action scene. Mm-hmm. Like I just think well, in like a good samurai or western movie, they they milked the build-ups to the action scenes like, "Oh, where's Batman going to come from? Oh, he's going to come from there. There he comes." <laughs> you know, just and like Ben said, you you actually kind of knew the henchmen more than almost in any yeah. movie I could name. Right. Like, man. Well, and then I just keep forgetting all of the different I I think the reason why I, I I'm kind of stuck on the generosity of it is I was trying to, I was replaying it. Oh no, I saw a trailer in the trailer. They spoiled the Batman runs down the side of the building. Right. And I was like, oh yeah, that happened. I forgot. Oh yeah. What else happened that I forgot? Oh yeah. That hallway scene was awesome. Oh yeah. The, they did a run, jump, squirrel suit flight thing. Mm -hmm. That was a cool idea. Like, oh yeah. Like there were just so many fun ideas that in, in Nolan, he would have made a big deal about one or two of them mm-hmm. and that that would have been it. There's just a lot of fun ideas thrown into this and each one got good treatment except for the Batmobile chase scene, which was stupid. Did I come upon a conversation where you were defending the Batmobile chase oh, scene? Oh, I was trying to find a way to defend it. I mean, my memory is that it does have some of its own internal logic in the way it's shot and choreographed. But e- even if that's true, and I'd have to see it again to know if I really thought that, 
I can't disagree. It disrupts the flow of the movie. It doesn't make sense. What about all the people on the highway who are killed? No one ever mentions that Batman caused a million dollars worth of property damage on the highway in a movie that seems committed to... Yeah, it's very cavalier about... It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, and it's all for the purpose of cornering a false lead. It does feel like this was not in the script until the studio insisted. Yeah. It, it, just, it just, it gives you this awesome, like, oh, Batman's got the penguin now, but the penguin hasn't, doesn't have anything. The penguin doesn't. Yeah. The penguin is just a false lead in that scene. Right. They almost make a joke out of it. That's right. And and so it it and just they do it turn around work. and make a joke out of it where we've got yeah the good cop bad cop thing and they're just gonna let us mock Gordon and Batman for a minute and then leave the penguin there with his uh, hands and feet cuffed so that so he, has he has to, to waddle, waddle around like <laughs> a penguin. <laughs> I like that, but I admit it's it's anyway. It's like none of this was going anywhere. So not only is it a break in tone, it's badly choreographed, and it is meaningless. Right. That's right. The sound design does a lot to apologize for all of those things. It's nice. And the, well, if we're going to do this, let's turn the camera upside down and have him walking slowly. <laughs> in one of the most iconic the shots of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to use this in our trailer and, and absolutely everything else, and it will sell the movie. Well, what I, no said, what I said when we were talking about this earlier off, Mike, is they should have just made a three-minute short film that was that, and they should have released it. And Like Spider-Man's famous forgotten trailer, yes, not where, forgotten. where he kept catches the... Catches the helicopter between the Twin Towers. Right. Mm-hmm. There's other things that, like Godzilla, the Roland Emmerich Godzilla, which wasn't a great movie, but it had a great marketing campaign where they had many movies where Godzilla came through and disrupted this or that. You can't actually do clever marketing. That's something that's that's been a little bit lost. Something that Nolan's actually quite good at is the whole mark. That's that's actually the sequence. You said Nolan makes big deal out of one or two sequences. I think that's marketing as much as anything. It's because you hear about those sequences and you start seeing articles about them before the movie comes yeah. out. And you're, we turned an entire airplane upside down to get this Bane sequence. And then it's not that exciting in the, the movie yeah. itself, but you kind of know they really did it. It's Tom in Cruise. This mo- does that's what I was going to say. In this movie, Tom Cruise climbs the Burj Khalifa and he really does it. And this one hangs onto the side of an airplane for yeah. real. Right. I would, I'd actually, just to defend Nolan for a sec, Jake, I think Nolan actually is really generous with his ideas, but he's just not good at executing action sequences. Because if I, if I think back over Dark Knight or even Batman Begins Returns, there's like tons of cool ideas that you want to see paid off in a certain way. And he just can't quite. I mean, even if you think about Begins, he's going to fight ninjas. Whoa, Batman's fighting ninjas. He's going to have a whistle that's going to bring bats. Whoa, Batman's swarmed by bats. He's going to develop his awesome grappling gun. He's going to have his suit be like, oh, he can fly now. He's He's going to go rigid or yeah. He's got to just do all the things. His truck, his tumbler or whatever. That movie does actually have a ton of ideas. They're just all poorly executed. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I guess they all feel like in a Nolan movie, they're trying to be a moment. The only thing that feels like it's trying to be a moment in this one is the Batmobile, and it stands out and is stupid and bad. Yeah. None of these other ones feel like they're trying to be... Yeah, this movie has a nice way of underplaying. <laughs> I moment. Say Everything that. is, yeah. yeah, very, very sort of under-promise, over-deliver. Yeah, yeah that's, that is true. He's good at that. Yeah, the lead up to the cop, to the squirrel suit is he's just running through a police office it's kind of dorky actually <laughs> but in, the, in a great in a wonderful top, way yeah. and then yeah. he's like afraid <laughs> he's like whoa <laughs> about 
I've not actually done this yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, then we have the joke. I think we're the, the this is a divided room that shall not stand on, on whether the comedy. I, I think Matt Reeves just feels like a very humorless guy and yeah, he shouldn't even try. I agree. But I have, Sorry, go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, there's there's just a handful of moments where he does jokes and he shouldn't. They fell flat for me. Yeah. The only redeeming thing about his jokes is his idea that if we're gonna have jokes in this movie, the joke should be on Batman, right? And that's something cool and fun and kind of gutsy as an idea. But none of the jokes, none of them landed for me or anything like that. It's a one of those weird places that a lot a lot of the like. I went on and I and I read a bunch of critic reviews and I was just looking at the bad ones to like see if they put a finger on anything I might be feeling. Mm-hmm. And all all the bad reviews felt like I just don't like bad. But one of the the biggest criticisms is how humorless the movie was, and I mm-hmm. kind of felt like I tried to have some jokes. I just wish it didn't bother because it it had one good one. It had uh, you should have man, you could have pulled that punch. I did. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's, nice. that's good. I, I thought the verbal. very underplayed. Yeah. Yeah, it has to pretend like it's not being a joke in order to. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I am famous for saying, um, famous the world over. Everyone knows me for saying, I, I hate it when movies are humorless. But I, but I would say there's different kinds of wit. This movie has visual wit. It has wit in its choreography. It has wit in the way that it's constructed. Even its script has e- some wit. Yeah, even the script. It, not all wit is Robert Downey Jr. putting somebody down. Or a you, slapstick. You you have a lot of cats. I have a thing for strays. That's actually like old Hollywood yeah, style. Uh, well, or the, he has a nice line about scars. What, what's your <laughs> mask just, hiding? My scars. No, <laughs> she says, are you like discarred and disfigured underneath that? Are, are, you, it, are you hideously disfigured under that like, mask? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a pretty good that's, joke. That's, that's it is. Great. I forgot Why? about that. I did too. Yeah. I, think, I think that's kind of a sweet like uh, character beat. Like I, I feel for Batman. He is hideously scarred under that mask. <laughs> Even though he looks like Edward the Vampire. Um, <laughs> and then she uh-huh. kisses him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird that I didn't feel dumber. Like I, I hate the obligatory. We're kissing now because the movie thinks that people fall in love in two seconds. The the Jason Bourne kind of, we've known each other for an hour and you're cutting my hair and now we're having sex. Yeah. This, this movie is guilty of that sin, but I, I didn't really care. Well, it felt- I, I did. It felt forced to me, but I read reviews that were like, dad, so much chemistry. It's too bad. All, all it gave him a chance to do was steal a couple of kisses. And I was like, what? I did not feel that at all. I thought they had nice chemistry and I thought she felt enough broken and he felt enough broken that the kiss read as- Kind of romantic, but also kind of like these guys suck. Like there was just an, it was played lonely, broken people. Again, it was underplayed yeah. enough that you didn't really resent it as though the movie was trying to shove a romance down your The most throat. romantic thing that actually passed between them was their motorcycle right at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was nice, even though that was kind of cute and sweet. It's very but Return of the King. Like, much. here's another ending for your <laughs> nine hour movie, but mm-hmm. it, uh, I liked it. It did a better job of playing with their loneliness and brokenness. That they're saying goodbye and then they sort of accidentally, intuitively, but also intentionally and for fun, go on a cool motorcycle chase ride thing for a minute before mm-hmm. parting ways. Mm-hmm. Like that played pretty strongly into into yeah. that exactly that vibe that you're saying yeah. at least that you're articulating. We're gonna say something else about that. Oh, just that it I mean 
It's uh, it's the Batman Returns of it all. You've got Catwoman and Penguin back again. Mm-hmm. You've got a movie that calls back to the actual, like, Batman is a lonely, broken person, and you care about him of mm-hmm. it all. Yeah. Which is, which is all Batman Returns is. Yeah. And then you've got the score playing with the Catwoman theme, and, and you've just got a couple of other things that felt like maybe intentional callbacks to Batman Returns. Like, this is this is almost a spiritual sequel or something to it yeah that's interesting i mean this movie thought it did a nice job of playing with the legacy in general i mean it had some stuff that felt nolan-esque just all, yeah all the talk about the soul of the city is was that was all nolan ever did was have people debate mm-hmm. the soul of the city but not in a way that felt like it was apologizing for it didn't do the rise of skywalker thing where it was it made you feel like this movie hated any of the other batman movies or anything like that all right we've talked about action score cinematography I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say. I'm sure they talked about plot. Plot. We've talked about the characters and acting, which was uh, 100% on point as far as I'm concerned. Uh, let me throw a couple of common criticisms at, at us. So one common criticism is that, yeah, okay, it's trying to do Detective Batman, but it actually is kind of overly linear. Just here is the problem. Now we will solve the problem. Now we will tell you how we solved that problem and restate it for the idiots in the audience. And now Gordon will say it again. And now we'll go to the next one. Like you could argue, or I've heard it argued that this movie isn't, isn't three dimensional. It just kind of follows through this. I don't know how to better articulate it than I already did. I think it has a plot that propels you, but it's, uh, it's secretly a character drama Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. a, about a, a Batman who's a Batman. And who has to grow. It has all the tools to solve the problems. And we get to see him solve some problems. And he has to grow and develop and have his own arc. um, Where he needs to become a more healthy, healed, whole person who understands Mm -hmm. his trauma. And who understands his fear and his loneliness. And needs to become a city father and a Bruce Wayne that matters. Well, the irony, and I think you said this before we started recording, Jake, is if no, we did a Nolan-esque, or maybe you said it, I don't remember who said it, but if we did a Nolan-esque, someone just states the theme of the movie. Yes, I mm-hmm. said that. Then it would it might feel more deeper for a segment of the popcorn-eating public. Yeah. Not if, to be a snob, but... If, if, I mean, Nolan tells you that you've had profound thoughts mm-hmm. in his movie. And, and tells you exactly what those thoughts and should be. And then he tells you what those profound thoughts are. And... So you can w- walk away if you just let yourself, if you're just there eating popcorn and checked out, you can walk away feeling like you've had profound thoughts without actually having to think. Some men really do want to watch the world burn. Wow. Reeves doesn't, just doesn't do that. You have to do your own thinking and you have to do your own connecting. And the, the, you don't have to do your own connecting on the uh, linear uh, level of the plot. That is yeah, explained for idiots. I mean, uh-huh. it's, and it's, it's, yeah, it's for kids. And it's that cast sense, at like a right? sixth like, grade level. Right. There. So when it comes to solving the puzzles and the problems of the Riddler, it is probably not for, that much more it, sophisticated than Batman the animated series or yeah, something. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. It is the most for 12 year olds of anything in the movie. Mm-hmm. But which, if anything was going to be point. for 12 year olds, I'd, do that. Like, give us a linear plot that we can follow and then let the themes percolate. And, and I think you also can't discount that this is just a f- good mood piece. It's just a world to live yeah. in. It's a score. It's a vibe. It's a aesthetic. I mean, it's, it was very nostalgic. It's, as you pointed out, a color palette. It's a color mm-hmm. palette. It's it's those rainy ambers and 
dark. Uh, why is it raining all the like? Why is the city so dark? Why is everything so dark? And why is it raining all the time? Because it's Batman. It's yeah, because it's awesome. Because <laughs> it's a movie that has a feel, and one of the feels they wanted it to have was rain. Right. <laughs> so deal with it. Like either you like it or you don't. But well, I mean, look for better or worse. I grew up with David Fincher and Nirvana and Radiohead and all this stuff, and it was very cozy and nostalgic to just live in a grunt and then late 90s grunge world for three hours it was just like oh this is yeah you know this is this is this is nice which is which is maybe a completely perverse thing to say but i cannot stop the fact that that's what i grew up with and that it was nice to it was and it was nice to live there without having to put up with the really dark fincher-esque there's not a lot of splatters yeah this movie actually isn't seven it's it's darker than any batman movie but it doesn't come anywhere close mm-hmm. to a really perverse serial killer movie. And so it was just nice to live in a rainy, grungy, neo-noir, fluorescent light kind of world. And this is the kind of movie that would be fun to have playing on the background at a party or when you're working or just as a mood piece. This is the best. I mean, the other movie that we've seen in the last year that is a good mood piece that we didn't like is Dune. Yeah, same cinematographer. But yeah, and people just want to live in that world. And and that was actually the other criticism, potential criticism of us that I wanted us to address, which is people are going to say, you know what, guys, anything that you've praised about this movie is something that I liked about Dune, and yet you didn't like Dune. I mean, you can't say the script's any better, but you can say that Dune was composed, that it was scored, that it was, I mean, Dune gets most everything right. Has setups and payoffs. Setups, payoffs. I mean, what I would say immediately comes to mind as a rebuttal is Dune has crappy action. So there's one thing that's a definitive difference between the two. Dune doesn't actually. Dune has actors, but it doesn't have characters. I don't know that. That is how it feels. It's like watching a storybook instead of living in a story or something. Yeah, this was something that's, that's dumb. That's dumb but we, we spent several hours trying mean. to articulate, and I don't know that we ever quite got there in a way that people resonated with, but. Dune doesn't have, Dune does not have characters. And you could say this movie doesn't really either, but this movie is intentionally playing with 80 years of history and iconography. So I think this movie has a right to allow us to fill in a few blanks for Pattinson's Batman. We don't need to see those pearls go flying through the air to know that he's he's an orphan. We don't, this movie I think is right to rely on our knowledge of the franchise a little bit. Every character in this movie has personality that you feel. You the mm-hmm. only person the only character in Dune who has a personality you feel is Jason Momoa's character. Right. Or maybe Lady Jessica, maybe. Or whatever her name is. Uh-huh. Well, and this movie has the sense of I don't yeah. know what Jeffrey Wright's relationship with his with Mrs. Gordon is like, but I feel like he probably has one. Whereas Duke Leto, it's like I don't know what his like I don't feel like he has a relationship with it's what Ben said about props. Like I, I don't, I don't feel like anything's there's happening off screen. So much. It just feels hermetically sealed. That's in right. Yeah. There's only so much that Oscar Isaacs can do fantastic at, as an actor, as he is mm-hmm. without a script and without, well, with it, without a designed, I mean, I don't know. It, it's sort of hard to put your finger on, yeah, because it feels intangible, but it is that vibe that that Ben was talking about. It's that whole idea of props, where part of Reeves' world building is is actual people that 
are people and that have stories and that mm-hmm. have personalities and that even the two guards and live in, in the guards, in, yeah. in in the world and in Villeneuve and Nolan people are background the world building is visual and people are props in that visual world that's being built but they're not they're not emotional is what i want to say like reeves actually knows how to use the visuals to connect you emotionally to the characters but Villeneuve and Nolan even if they know how to write, this character is emotional and here's their arc and we're going to keep reminding you in the script that this woman's angry and she's going to kill her husband and here's why you should feel sympathy for her. Well, Nolan is not able to actually do that for me visual, visually. Mm. He, he doesn't understand how to use film as an emotional tool and maybe neither does Villeneuve. I, I think he doesn't because I... But I, Reeves I, does. I just don't feel the relation, the father-son relationship. It's like they wrote the scene where he's like, you are my, uh, my son and I love you. And yet, I don't feel anything between Oscar Isaac. He just and I, doesn't care. And Oscar Isaac's great. And what's his face? Timothy Chalamet, very talented. But I just don't feel like they're, it's a father and son interacting or a mother and son or a bad guy and good yeah. guy. Arrival is the closest thing that he's ever touched yes. to having any kind of heart. And it, it doesn't have a lot of heart. Well, and the whole concept of that movie is a perfect one for that jerk, which is we can't communicate with each other at all. <laughs> yeah that's that's a good story for him that's to tell <laughs> J- jeremy renner and amy adams actually missed the mark in their marriage because people can't come together and actually talk to each other about mat- what matters and so she didn't tell them about the baby like that's a good story for denny villeneuve to tell because he's an idiot <laughs> um <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> this feels like a cheap shot somehow but go, go ahead <laughs> i think it's a very expensive shot well, i mean certainly going after him has uh cost us more than it's gained us can't argue that yeah and yet i stand by it and i think all the fanboys that love him i think 20 years 30 years down the road maybe we won't live to see it but i think they'll say oh thanks for beginning to articulate what we all now know and understand like these are not good movies uh, anyway, Ben, you were saying. Well, no, I have a half-formed thought. I just, I, I'll ask the question. What is it that Reeves is doing with his camera and his editing that Villeneuve and Nolan aren't doing or don't know how to do to connect us emotionally? Because film proceeds on a frame-by-frame basis. They're doing something. They're doing something well, with their images. I think a lot of it actually is Hemingway's iceberg. Like, I I imagine, so, so they're, yeah, absolutely. I Whether it's, Having this discussion reminds me of our discussions about Brad Bird. It reminds mm. me of our discussions about what are those two guys? I don't know. Miller and Lord and Miller. Lord and Miller. Yeah. Oh. Discussions about Lord and Miller. Like they're just a handful of guys that really get how to make full use of the medium and are committed to doing it. And mm-hmm. clearly this is one of them. But two, it feels like everybody like he in the same way that you come to every action scene with a clever idea and a shot and a visual idea, like a musical idea or a score idea, a visual idea, a choreography idea, and a conceptual idea goes into every single action scene. And all that work is like seen, it feels like there are character beats and backstories and angles and personalities that are just thought through for almost everybody and every when they come on screen like everybody has we didn't 
we didn't necessarily need to know all the story of Selena Kyle's mom and all that stuff. To or, fe- or her, well, a good example of that, people have criticized the movie. Like, why does she care so much about this Anna or Anika or whatever? Yeah, you feel it. You just yeah. feel it. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I don't yeah. know why, but I know Selena has a good reason. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Everybody feel like she feels like she has a good reason. It, it, mm-hmm. she, she feels like she makes sense and she is intrinsically sympathetic. And I don't think that you need, we, I don't think we needed that backstory to feel that. We got it in the case of Selena Kyle, but I think everybody else tends to have, seems like they have that. Like, what has the penguin been doing and how is his relationship as a sort of like, uh, sub boss to the the falcones and the maronis of this world how does he feel impotent how does he feel like you 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 know that he does like mm-hmm. you know that he wants to act like a big shot but you know he can be provoked into pulling a gun at the end like there's this whole like world of how this cr- the crime bosses work and interact that somebody's already worked it out mm-hmm and everybody mm-hmm. knows and understands it. And it's not just Colin, whatever your name is, a Farrell. Script, right. You're a great actor, so figure something out. Or we have we have a script thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, in other in other words, what you're saying, I think, Jake, is that this this stuff is thought through to some extent so that the details just feel organic. Well, right. and there's an intangible. We've talked about this with magic systems before when we talked about fantasy and I think our mm-hmm. sound of sanity, right. how does fantasy work? It doesn't matter whether you tell people all the rules of your fantasy world. If you, as an author, have actually thought them through and have mm-hmm. a coherent vision for it, yeah. it will tend to leak through. Into and all it, the details. It will be felt. And it will be felt. Yeah. Yep. And D- Denny Villain knew, I'm sorry, I don't know how to quantify it to make a rational argument, but it feels like he has not thought beyond what is necessary for any scene, and it feels like that in every one of his darn movies. And... That's where he stops. In a movie like this, we We'd, get nothing on Jim Gordon. He's a good guy. That's yep. it. And yet, it feels like this character has interiority. And some of that mm-hmm. is the relationship that we have through decades of Batman. Some of that is Jeffrey Wright just being a boss. But some of that, I think, is a filmmaker who's just thought about it and is willing for little details to linger in the cracks. Just the fact that he calls Batman man. Uh, like, hey, man. Mm-hmm. Like, this yep. feels like a real person mm-hmm. with, with some... A sense yeah. of humor with right. things that he's no thinking. No guns. That's your thing. Yeah. With, with interiority. Um, and all right. the characters, and Selena feels like that. Batman feels like that. They, they, they all have that. Those, those, those lines, those comments, those things, they, they feel like they're coming from a place mm-hmm. in a relationship and in, in an interiority, like you said. That's not just like, oh, I know what would be cool is this line. No guns. That's your thing. I've got to get me one of these. Right, exactly. Yeah, this is like, that's so contrived. Nothing feels that contrived. And it is, it, I think that's a great pull that fantasy, like part of why the Lord of the Rings works is Tolkien actually invented these languages and he did all this backstory. Like he wrote out all these histories of Middle Earth. And so Middle Earth just has it a character of a world that has oh, all these histories. He doesn't have to tell us what, what the Balrog was doing down there. It's enough that we know he knows. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's got the whole story. Yeah. He knows exactly how the Balrog fits into the mythos and cosmology and history of Middle Earth. And so it just feels like part of the world. Like it just all fits and flows and comes out of 
out of all of that mm-hmm. elbow grease that he's put into it. And this movie feels like that when it comes to the characters and the just the 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 underworld, the CD underworld and how it works. Like he knows how Thomas Wayne fit. He knows how with the dynamic with Maroney and Falcone was, he knows how the penguin fits into that. He knows how mm-hmm. all these other characters work. He knows the degree to which the police force has been infiltrated and the degree to which it hasn't. He knows mm-hmm. much better than Nolan ever knew is as meticulous as Nolan feels on a surface mm-hmm. level. It feels like Nolan knows how to project a kind or, or, or lay claim to a kind of meticulousness that he well, really Inception have. is the best example. It's a, it's a perfectly designed world that he's built, mm-hmm. but he never stopped to think about what a dream is. Like, it's mm-hmm. such a bad movie about, it doesn't have anything to say about dreams. And that's kind of the ball game for a dream movie. And yet the surface, like the rules of if you do this, this will happen. Like he figured out the math. Like, like he figured out the, mm-hmm. the, and, the he, and he made incredibly intricate sequences around the dream math that he made up. Yeah. It's like he knows the lyrics, but he doesn't know the music. Right. I mean, and I think visually, I bet, Ben, to address what you said earlier about mm-hmm. what is he doing visually, I bet, I, I can't quite articulate it without actually having the movies in uh-huh. front of me. But when I think about the father-son, all I ever needed you to do mm-hmm. was be my son scene, for example, in Dune, it's just a simple shot, reverse shot. We are standing there. Our shoulders are rigid. We are looking at each other. And in my mind, I'm comparing that to Alfred wide shot comes hobbling in on his crutch and he's looking over Bruce's. I, I think there's a way that Dune and and all of Villeneuve is so composed, so sealed into it's like, this is the visual that we wanted. And you actually, as much as we love great composition, character always has to come first. You have to, yep. you have to build your great compositions around what the characters are doing and why and what's motivating. Well, okay, let's, I mean, back to Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Citizen Kane is doing these, you know, very intricate compositions, these shots that are incredibly designed. But the shots are always giving you extra layers of context and suggesting more interiority, suggesting yeah. more like, well, there are other layers to this character and their relationship. And but, here... But these are what ten are years have passed. Right. What we want to show you right. about them right now. Right. Right. Here's a designed sequence. Right. I mean, the famous one is here's a completely designed, contrived sequence where the table keeps getting longer between the married couple uh-huh. and we see the deterioration of, of their, their relationship. relationship. It's just a gimmick, but it's a powerful gimmick to show this the marriage deteriorate in the space of a few seconds of screen time. Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing. And it's it's gimmick. It's It's cinema gimmickry in the service of character and personality yeah and that's what Villeneuve never feels like he's doing and as weird and exaggerated and crazy as a matt reeves movie is it actually feels like that's exactly what he's doing and so and same with guy Ritchie. yeah same with guy Ritchie. same with lots of great directors i mean same with it depends on your guy Ritchie. sure we'll talk about we'll save that conversation for off mic yeah (laughs) jake just watched a older guy Ritchie movie i found out this morning oh really Uh, yeah yeah Yeah. with zero characters Uh, and zero Any, uh, sure. We'll yeah, I, I don't think mic. I don't think either <laughs> fair, me or Ben will be in a rush enough. to defend that, but uh, we'll say <laughs> I'm that for. Sh- I'm sure that we won't. But yeah, I mean Jeffrey Wright is just able to suggest. I, I keep returning to him because Gordon really is a nothing character if you think about yeah what we get, mm-hmm. uh, and yet he's a, he's one of the most richest, likable characters in the movie in terms mm-hmm. of the ultimate effect that he has. Yeah, yeah, and, and so yeah. Anything? Uh, any other criticisms or things? we want to address before we 
bid adieu to all the bat fans out there any other cool moments we want to call out it is it is the rare four act structure that it works yeah hmm. i remember actually being confused about what act i was in in the in the movie well i had made a note about the batmobile because it marks a, an act break mm-hmm. but then i got confused about what act if because i was gonna you know say an act two it felt a part or an act three or whatever is where it started to go downhill and then uh, it was like i never came back and figured it out or put too much thought into it, it was like is this a three act this isn't a three act. is this four is this five act I, I think it's four i think it's four because i think the capture of the riddler is actually the end of the movie in a traditional structure and you know it's not because we haven't gotten a big action scene there so it doesn't make sense and, and then it revs back up for Actually, interestingly, a movie that does that, that was also the beginning of a franchise, is uh, Casino Royale, which properly ends with yeah, Sheaf right. being shot in the head and him retiring to the beach with his new girlfriend, but instead revs up. Then into, we have a whole other act that we have to... And in both cases, it's like the real heart of the movie, the real emotion is going to come in act four, which is just an interesting structure. And it makes Casino Royale interminable if you go back to it. And it might make this movie feel a little bit long after a few viewings if you go back to it. But in terms of kicking off a franchise... It's pretty sharp. It's a pretty sharp idea. Here's here's the three-act Batman movie, and here's the fourth act that actually pulls all of this together and establishes that this is a franchise and it's here to stay and we're going somewhere. Yeah. That's almost like here's the three-act Riddler movie and then here's, here's our Batman act. That may, that Here's turns, Act One of the Great Batman movie. Yeah, that turns that turns the three act uh, huh. Riddler movie into a Batman movie by yeah. the time it's done. Hmm. If people don't know, Warner and Reeves have both said that the four hour director's cut is coming and the sequel is in development. This movie felt pretty good. I I, I don't know that I need another hour. It might just be indulgent. <laughs> what where, where does he say that? I was trying to find that and. Okay, finally. It just says, reportedly, it tested a four-hour cut, but Matt Reeves has been denying this and that about releasing another. I just saw it, like, on Thursday or Friday or on release day or Saturday, somewhere over the weekend I saw. And maybe what I saw was somebody jumping the gun, but I thought it was was Reeves directly uh, promising. Yeah, it, it may be. I mean, maybe he's been denying it leading up to the run, but I, I no, I remember a whole quote about about in being intent on giving fans every bit of Batman that they want, hmm. that they huh. could that, want. That's interesting. The only headlines that are coming up are that they tested a four-hour cut. And Reeves mm-hmm. seems pretty committed to not doing that. Like, he's like, no, I didn't have an R-rated cut. This is my cut. Don't don't think that there's some lurking thing out there. Maybe maybe there's a longer cut that's still PG thirteen or something. Because he, I mean, one thing he's st- he said is I was always going to make it a PG thirteen movie. I didn't make it an R and then cut it back. So so maybe maybe there's a four hour PG thirteen cut that he'll still release. I mean, they're definitely talking about releasing a a bonus scene with the proto Joker in Arkham Asylum. That's all over. There's a scene that they shot that he's going to put out. <laughs> What do you guys think about the introduction of the Joker, by the way? I, again, this movie is full of bold choices. That was a bold choice, and I applaud it. Well, especially since Nolan did the exact same thing at the end of Begins, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the obvious. The Ghostbusters are back. Oh no, they're going to have to fight Vigo next time. That's a, that's a lame analogy. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but well, Sherlock Holmes, we made one movie. Oh no, he's going to have to fight Moriarty next time. This is just usually what you do, I guess, especially in a Pulse Nolan. I hope they never do a pure Joker movie. I hope it's just like exactly like the comics where the Joker's always in and out of Arkham mm-hmm. causing trouble. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's the mastermind of everything, but it's not always focusing on the, the Joker. Just in the same sense that this movie wasn't actually just a Riddler movie. It was a lot of other things. And I really liked it. This movie far and away felt the most like the Batman comics, by the way. I would say much more than anything else. Just in ter- just. Batman being on a crime scene, figuring things out and going and doing his stuff and the world building and all that. I think these guys are both looking for four hour headlines, folks. So I am. I'll just, sorry. I'll just vamp. I, I, I don't have the comic books as a point of comparison, but it felt the most like Batman, the animated series to me. Just yeah. Well, I think that's, that that, that is a good point of comparison. Uh, just felt felt like this is the ongoing adventures of our friend Batman and mm-hmm. the city of Gotham. Well, and the other, none of the other Batman movies even care about things like Batman's computer, the way right. that Batman the animated series carries about cares about Batman's computer. <laughs> but they did the fun contact thing. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Um, that was nice. Yeah. And so the computer becomes a linchpin part of his detective work. That's cool. Yeah, um, it is cool. The computer can render images that he sees on paper or whatever. Like that, that's cool. We'll have a a whole thing down the line with uh, the conceit that the big drug in Gotham is eye dro- is eye drops, and so you have droppers or drop heads. That'll come into play with Batman's contacts in a later mm. thing. Mm-hmm. So that's like you already feel like there are <laughs> things that are being set up for down the line franchise payoffs. I'm just like, this franchise has the potential to be really fun and cool. Mm-hmm. Or this take on the Batman franchise, rather, mm-hmm. as franchise films go. By the way, we never talked about Matt Reeves. He did those Apes movies, which I don't like. Mm-hmm. And Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Did he d- which I've seen. Did he do the Apes movies or did he jump into the middle? He did two and three, I think. He did two and yeah. three, that's right. Which are the, ones that, one. well, the ones that people really like. And I don't have a problem with them. I think they're well done, but... I just don't care about apes. I just, I can't get into, it's like cars. I just, it yeah. doesn't matter how good the story is. I just can't get behind a bunch of cars talking to each other. Apes says humans, like, I don't know if it's a moral thing, like a, or what, but I just don't respond to it and I find it boring. So yeah. Matthew Reeves, has he done anything else that I care about? Huh? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like I'm forgetting something though. State of Alabama executes Matthew Reeves. <laughs> There we go. Matt Reeves is what I want. He did let me in. Oh, yeah. Huh. That's basically it. Huh. Mm-hmm. Some couple early things, trying to get his foot in the door, and then Cloverfield, which some people swear by. I never saw it. It's a very cool, technically cool, nihilistic, depressing, grungy I would never go back to it. Yeah, I'm just not a big fan of found footage guy, so I never gave it a try. I mean, it's 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 an awesome found footage movie. Matt Reeves has the technical chops to pull that off and make it visually interesting and exciting. Make mm-hmm. it very composed, in other words. And then, so. and then Let Me In is a remake of Let the Right One In, which didn't need to be remade. So, I don't know. Yeah, just a bunch of bummer Matt Reeves movies that I don't care about. 
but the Batman looks cool. So digital image, run through film, scanned back, and IP, interpositive film, and bleach bypass. That's how we got the look. Is that we got the look? Yep. Was this movie actually shot so in film? Di- no, it was shot digital. Okay. It was ran through 35 millimeter. Aha. It was scanned back to digital. And then an interpositive film and a bleach bypass were used as part of that process. Nice. That is a good way to get that finchery look. A true film nerd would complain, why didn't you guys just have the chops to shoot it on film? But I think that's silly. I think people should be allowed to use technology to make their lives easier. Frazier did the same thing with Dune. I was going to afraid that sentence was going to end with the sitcom Frazier having done the same process. <laughs> well. Hey, you want to know back to our, I'm just sorry. I'm just like looking at little tidbits mm-hmm. that I can find here and there. So according to this source, Reeves has already confirmed that Batman has already encountered the Joker. That's why the Joker is in Arkham. Good. The Joker has a birth defect connected to his face. That's why he can't stop smiling. Yeah, he had a monster face in the little bit that we saw him. Mm, Yeah, he did. His take is inspired by the man who laughs. The Joker is also a serial killer of some kind, but he's not a fully-fledged Joker yet. So he's in development. Well, that all sounds lame, but I I guess I trust Matt Reeves to do something interesting with it. He's done this movie. The only point in saying all that is all of that went into the joker being in arkham right for that little last bit of scene yeah a good example of the iceberg yeah theory yeah i mean what nolan did was throw a card a card right it was just an open like "Eh, don't know yet yeah which i don't want to be too critical of i thought that was a a fun idea at the time. I still think it's a fine idea. But, well, it's been but done it so does many illustrate times the difference. Yeah. I mean, so much, so much of what we could yeah. criticize Nolan for, we're really just criticizing the fact that it became popular and tons of people did it and we got tired of it. But one of these days, we'll do a full litigation of Nolan. Today, we've done a full litigation of the Batman. Bat- or Batman, yes. Batman. <laughs> Batman Solzer. How many... I guess you've yes. decided <laughs> the answer to the question. Uh, I'll ask Batman Solzer, Batman Mental, and Batman Youth. How many... Batarang, chest batarangs. I like that, by the way. I like like that, too. I I liked his suit. I liked all the gear, uh, all the tech stuff. All Mm -hmm. the design was cool. I liked the way the mask looked. It kind of looked more... Like his head. Yeah, like his head, Mm -hmm. but like... What was it? It was like made out of leather or something. It was the the actual component that went over his eyes was like... Kind of looked like it was buttoned in or something. It didn't look like this hard Mm -hmm. piece of armor. Yeah. Uh, which was nice. Anyway, uh, how many, I don't want to do bad at ranks. What does this movie have that's cool? That's There's a lot of. Mm, there's a lot of grappling hooks like on his arms, right? He has a whole band of little. Yeah, yeah, Okay, how many grappling hooks out of 13 do you give to Matt Reeves, the Batman, Le Batman? 11. 11 out of 13. Yeah. Any further comments? Only other further comment is. I find the seven-ish stuff, even in its dilute, not, diet. in its it's very diluted form, to be to be pretty disturbing. Images like that get into my head, and so I I I don't know if I want to. I mean, I I feel a desire to return to this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll go see it in theaters again. Partly for that reason, it's like uh, there's only so much of that kind of darkness I can I want to have to deal with. So that that knocks it down a little for me. I recognize. They did a great consistent job with the Riddler as a character, and that's part of what he does. But 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I'm disappointed to hear that his his deep and interesting take on the Joker is he's a serial killer. Because yeah. I, I hope that's not just always the take. Because that's 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 gonna be a, get tiresome. We need some terrorists and some other kinds of psychopaths. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But Jake, how many grappling hooks out of thirteen do you give to this movie? I'll give it eleven with Ben or twelve. Got to choose. I'll give it eleven. I dock it points for its moral content, for mm-hmm. its need to tip its hand to woke to the wokeism, mm-hmm. for the ways it dances on the line of graphic violence, for the sexuality, all those things that keep it from being a movie I want to really want to come back to or share with. Certainly can't and don't want to share with my wife and kids. If you have a movie that you watch that you don't want or like or are comfortable with sharing with your wife and kids, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. And this movie presents that kind of problem. And so it's got serious moral flaws. But I would rather come back to that than say, watch a John Wick movie, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is going to be the same kind of thing. And a bit of filmmaking, it's great. And as a Batman movie that understands and loves Batman, it's great, and outside of those moral elements, it has a lot to commend it, so it deserves a high rating. So there, I guess that's my... We had a friend, uh, you reminded me, we had a friend that criticized the movie, sort of, let me see if I can, maybe one of you guys can actually reconstruct his argument better. What he said was, the movie, in the way that it dances on its violence... It is sort of a betrayal because it wants to. It wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants Everyone's to, gonna pummel and pummel and pummel on someone, and it's gonna really have that visceral thrill of pummeling someone. But we're not gonna get any of the consequences of that. We're not gonna get blood splatters. Nobody's face is gonna act. We're not gonna see somebody's face actually punched in. So we're gonna get all of the visceral acts of violence robbed from what that does, and that creates its own moral quandary. Where okay, you you shouldn't show this level of violence in the first place so don't if you do it needs to be connected with the consequences otherwise you create this sort of false glorification of violence that lodges in people's brains without without the visceral disgusting reality of it all and so kind of glorifies it that that that's a more or less the the take that he gave so francois truffaut Mm -hmm. or some some famous fruity French filmmaker, somebody said it's impossible to make an anti-war film because war is so visual and exciting that it just doesn't matter. Like you can, you can make it as bloody and awful as you want. It'll get your heart pumping and be exciting. And so if you want to make an anti-war film, the only thing you could do is just not make a war film. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think our friend has waded into deep waters with this. Like it's, 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 what would you have it do? What would you have this movie do? You have three choices. You could pull back the violence such that you're not telling the story of a Batman who's going a little far. You could add blood. Like you could just go into an R rating. And I think it, then you then actually still get a perverse kick out of it. Like I, I don't know how much yeah. blood do you add before people recoil in horror. The fact, the, the point, the fact is you can't add enough. People will just enjoy it on that level if you, if you, if you, if you make the guy's face actually pummeled in. After Batman punches them. So I think what I would say is given what this movie is trying to do, 
I think it actually does it pretty responsibly. I think it had to choose a level of where it was going to pull its punches. And I think I can see the arguments. I can be sympathetic to the arguments. And if someone's mileage varies, that's fine. But I thought in terms of the action scenes, the movie was fairly responsible in the way that it handled them. I mean, if you can stomach us telling a story about a hero that punches people at all, like like we could have bigger arguments, but mm-hmm. assuming those arguments are settled, I think this movie handles itself responsibly. I think the Riddler 7 serial killer chic of it all is the place where I feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Like, do we have to introduce kids to this whole concept of evil, of this type of evil, and make it so glamorous? Again, I think the movie is more or less responsible, but I feel more uncomfortable there actually than I do about the action scenes. Although I I understand our friends. I feel most uncomfortable though with just like the real reason I wouldn't show this to a 13 year old boy is because there's just a lot of female body on display Mm -hmm. um, as much as anything. But that said, I will defend it a little bit more and uh, give 12. I'm, I'm only docking at one point because I really did like it and I'm okay with of people disagreeing or not seeing it. I mean, you, you have you should be warned about the stuff, but I, I thought it was more more or less outside of the sexual stuff. I thought it was handled responsibly. Uh, and there's always the caveat that there's people who shouldn't see any action movies. You know, I mean, this is such a big topic. Like some some people are going to get the wrong thing out of a movie where someone's punching someone a whole bunch, no matter what. Or people who shouldn't see any serial killer movies. Yeah, precisely. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But if you can if you can accept the argument that the movie should have been made at all, then I think it's very well done. And I think you've got a thoughtful filmmaker who's trying to handle these things responsibly. I, th- I think we could at least all agree he wants to be responsible with this stuff, mm-hmm. whether we agree that he hit the mark or not. Uh, maybe not so much with the sex, but with the violence. So I'll give it 12 out of a possible 13 grappling hooks. And that brings our the Batman podcast to a close as soon as we call out our lovely patron choice award of awesomeness winner, Seth. And by call him out, I mean, we're calling him out. We're putting you on notice, Seth. We're holding your feet to the fire. Oh man. And why are we doing that? Because it's been making us all look bad by being awesome. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) So we got to get him, (laughs) bring him down to our level. Yep. Yep. We'll walk down the hallway of justice while music plays. That's right. We, That's right. Seth punches us and we punch him. And That's right. Meanwhile, Seth is like running from us and grappling up to the skyscraper of awesomeness. He gets up to the top floor. He's like, whoa. But then he realizes he has his squirrel suit of integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's going <laughs> to successfully dive off and release the, <laughs> release the parachute of reasonableness and not like hit a truck in a garbage can. He's going to land that squirrel suit safely. Yeah. Yep. You gotta land that squirrel suit safely. That's what I admire about Seth. <laughs> Jake, any further thoughts? Seth's great. Seth is great. That's that's true. All right. Until next time. You know who I am? I'm Batman. <laughs> we answered the question, folks. <laughs> we really did. <laughs> <laughs>